Blog Talk Radio. Excuse me, Captain Kirk. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Scott. What a charming negress. Oh, forgive me, my dear. I know that in my time, some use that term as a description of property. But why should I object to that term, sir? You see, in our century, we've learned not to fear words. May I present our communications officer, Lieutenant Uhura? The foolishness of my century had me apologizing where no offense was given. We've each learned to be delighted with what we are. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Welcome to yet another edition, another fascinating fine fact mission of the Afro Nerd Radio Machine. I am your host, D-Bert, a.k.a. The Afro Nerd. And as expected, <laughs> with the way things are with technology, I'm having issues with trying to connect with the great captain. But I'm sure he will call in shortly. I know that the lovely Clay Lene, our left coast correspondent, she, she will be calling in uh, a bit late, but she is, she is coming in. But that's no excuse for our audience. The call-in number, you know the drill, ladies and gentlemen, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. We have a lot to unpack, a lot to wax about. Um, Feel free to join in on our discourse by simply pressing the number one. We have a number of folks that like to hold on. They're in their cars. They're listening via their smartphones. But if you'd like to join in, Press 1, which is akin to a virtual hand raise, and that way we know that you want to join in on the fun. Folks, you know a chief component of the Afro Nerd Radio Machine deals with urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, Afro punk, acid jazz, all that stuff that we are not hearing in abundance. 
on conventional radio. It's unfortunate, but hey, that gives us an opportunity to actually share some of the sounds that I'm privy to to our audience. So without further ado, let's go to one of those new grooves. This is from a a gentleman I've been familiar with for many years now from the UK, UK neo-soul artist, legendary Omar as a new groove. You need to check out his video, actually, folks. Omar is in a appears to be in a home for, for the, the elderly, and he's having the elderly groove to his new sound. So it's very precious. It's cool to see older folk grooving to new music. So once again, Omar has done it. This is Doobie Doobie Doo. Doobie Doobie Doo. New group from the UK, folks. Let's group. We'll be right back. Na, na, na. Don't 
Pulling out the phaser once a game, the mighty Omar from the UK. New groove, folks, new groove. Doobie, doobie, do. Um, and again, I would implore the audience to actually check out the video. The video is just rather charming, dare I say. Uh, something that's refreshing to see older folk grooving. I just love that. Anyway, people, you know the drill. The call-in number remains the same, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. I might be doing this show for Delph. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I just saw the captain a few hours ago at the gym, and uh, maybe he's having some difficulties connecting in. That's a a possibility. I definitely, (laughs) I would not uh, be surprised. So hopefully he will be able to buzz in at some point. Uh, and I was already told, as I said at the top of the show, that Claire Linnae said she would be running late. So, and you know the uncanny Daryl B. He may be calling in. He may not be calling in because of the new scheduling. Um, and I'm seeing our, our friend Sean Christopher. He's saying Chrome is not working with BTR for some reason. I am on Firefox. Thank you for struggling with us, Sean. Um, I have no idea, you know, listen, that happens with these, you know, with some of these, um, uh, these players, you know, I have, I have no idea what the hell is going on. Um, anyway, the show still goes on folks. So while my co-discussants come in, if they come in, I'm going to do the damn thing for self. Um, I got a chance to check out, I got a chance to check out. Black Lightning episode two, and I was struggling. <laughs> I was struggling with Claire. I don't think Claire digs it, um, but she will be able to come in and kind of explain what her issues are with the show. I love the show. I must confess that episode one. Well, listen, any pilot episode for just about anything, it is hard sometimes to get past the original episode. If you think about Stein Steinfeld. Seinfeld, pardon me. Seinfeld. Seinfeld came out, I think, what, 91, something to that effect? And I didn't get hip to Seinfeld to maybe the third or fourth season. Back then, when the competition wasn't so stiff, it seemed as if networks would give a show an opportunity to shine and kind of work out some of, some of the show's sticky points. We said this ad nauseum on the show that we're just not living in those times. Nowadays, if you don't come out the box running strong, you know, it's, it's show to show. You know, it's, it's week to week. They're not, they're not going to give you the Seinfeld treatment. And think, think again how Seinfeld works in, in, in our culture. You know, Seinfeld is integral to TV culture, just like I Love Lucy or Sanford and Son. But, again, we're talking about decades ago, and maybe Seinfeld, and maybe you could throw in uh, Friends and some of the other 90s programming. I think that's, that's a bygone era. Now, you know, people are looking at this stuff so quickly that you, you got to hit it hard and running. So I was begging Claire <laughs> to stick, it, stick with it because uh, for some reason, um, episode one wasn't as bad to me. I was kind of getting into it. I thought that even if you have issues, issues with episode one of Black Lightning, that it was still a bit more superior to what we would normally see from the CW. The CW, 
has been critiqued, and I'm on that critique wagon, that critique train, that they're, they're a bit cookie cutter, that there's somewhat of a, an assembly line mentality when it comes down to the look of their properties, that you have to have a certain look. We don't have those quote-unquote special faces, those those faces, let's say, um, you know, the Hollywood faces from, the, from a bygone era where you would see a Betty Davis, Betty Davis eyes. We're not necessarily in that space anymore. You have these very runway-esque looking people. And sometimes to me, when you want to get into characterization, when you want to get into the soul of a property, you, you may not, you're not going to get it for the CW. So the experience that I, ha- I have had thus far with Black Lightning, I must confess that it has a kind of soul to it. I see John Hutton's. Yeah, he's saying acting is great, visuals are standard CW, but the story is just so rushed in some spots and dragging in others. Yeah, well, again, I, I can't dispute that, but I will say that there's something about it. There's something about Black Lightning thus far that, at least this early on, a- appears to be somewhat superior than the other stuff that's going on with the CW. Now, I do appreciate what Supergirl brings to brings to the landscape that um, from the CBS from the CBS show for those you know who uh, may not remember Supergirl wasn't always a CW property Supergirl started out on CBS and then I think because of the expense of the show and maybe the market or the demographics for the CW really didn't necessarily fit I mean it, it's actually more at home with all the other superhero fare courtesy of Greg Berlanti, who, who runs the operation at CW. Courtesy of Berlanti, he's created this entire Arrowverse, Green Arrow being the first, and then, and then um, Flash and so forth. So when we saw it by, by season two, we saw Supergirl there. And now by season three, Supergirl is a lot more engaging. It's, it's more serious for some reason. It's not, not as campy. Um, it's very diverse, very youthful. There's, there's things going on with Supergirl that I must confess have me have me watching it. So I think it's it's improved, but it didn't necessarily start out that way. I thought that it it, it was likened to a Devil Wears product, but superheroes. That's that's the impression I had gotten. But it's it's become something else. So uh, with Black Lightning. Hell, there's some beats in Black Lightning that some folks are saying might be superior to Luke Cage. Might be. I thought Luke Cage was excellent, but excellent up to episode six, if we're going to be fair. After the death of the Mahashala Ali character, Cottonmouth, Demise, to me, the series went off the rails. It became very campy when before it was it was so excellent. The the in between Music sequences, uh, the acting, the look, the smell of Harlem, um, Pop's Barbershop. There were certain things going on. Um, hell, there was a shout-out to uh, Dapper Dan. For those, for those folks who are well-versed in hip-hop history, Dapper Dan is – well, now Dapper Dan has actually come back into the fold, believe it or not. But just for those who, are un- who may not be familiar with, with the, the, the iconography – of Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan was kind of a, a renegade 
a renegade fashionista for the hip hop set back in the late '80s. What's say mid '80s to the '90s before you 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 before the the fashion industry actually embraced the notion of a hip hop fashion line. Before that happened, there was Dapper Dan. So Dapper Dan makes an appearance in Luke Cage, the Dapper Dan himself, the, the gentleman Dapper Dan. And now I'm hearing Dapper Dan actually is kind of there's a is a Dapper Dan reboot. So just for for that connection to Harlem history and hip hop, I have to give Luke Cage's props. But with Black Lightning, it's something about um the feel, the soul. Uh, hell, I have to confess, the imagery with, quote-unquote, black love, something that we don't ne- necessarily see or th- that uh, Hollywood has been reticent for a millennia to, to actually see black men and women interacting. I mean, there's even an LGBTQ element, with, which is true to the mythology. Let me repeat, some folks are wondering what's going on, but that's true to the mythology. I see that... Our friend from the left coast has made her arrival. Again, folks, for some reason I'm doing I'm doing this for Delph. <laughs> Where the hell is the captain? I, I don't I don't know, but I gotta queue up our own queen of the Amazon. I gotta queue up her, her intro music. Here we go. There we go. The groove. The funk. She is our left coast correspondent. No one does it better. Passionate. She can actually wield the firearm. We'll leave that alone. Our left coast correspondent. Say the day. The funk. That groove. That groove is funky. Funky. Hey, Claire. <laughs> How are you, doll? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm sorry. Did we leave you alone to hold down the fort? I think so. I need you. <laughs> because. Oh, boy. I don't know what happened. I saw the captain a few hours ago when he said, hey, we're going to get down. I said, yes. And then I don't know what happened. Um, well, you know, I'm pretty sure something came up that was beyond his control. So it is what it is. Uh, Listen. You were struggling with Black Lightning. Explain, <laughs> please. Oh, 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 oh. We just just diving right into it, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Listen, listen. I tried, okay? I tried. I struggled through the episode, the first episode. I gave the second episode 15 minutes. And I just, I'm, you know, I'm done, folks. You're hearing it live. You're hearing it live. Claire Lene of Afro Nerd Radio is saying that she cannot get down with the black lightning. She just can't. Folks, I'm sorry. Listen, I, I appreciate the fact that it's doing well. I appreciate the fact that right now in this moment it is, it's, it's, it's hot. It's trending. Hashtag Black Lightning, great. You know what? I'm happy for any bit of success and, you know, audience, fanfare, excitement, enthusiasm. That's wonderful. All right? I'm happy for them. I'm happy for all of them. 
But this show is not for me. This show is not for me. I cannot get past the writing. I'm sorry, but the writing on this show, I can't, I'm, I, I just, I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It is not for me. I don't know how much more I should, if I should go into it. I don't know how real you want Claire to get with, <laughs> with her critique, with her analysis, with the, with, you know, my frustration, but frankly, when I was watching, you know, episode one and, you know, first quarter, first little bit of episode two, I was thinking to myself, you know what, I would rather just go back and watch the second half of Luke Cage again. Oh, God. In fact, this was making me appreciate the second half of Luke Cage watching this because I swear I couldn't get past the writing. I don't like the characters. I'm sorry. I just... I can't deal with it, folks. I just can't deal with it. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. I think that Cress Williams is a fine choice for Jefferson Pierce. You know, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with the costume. You know, I'm fine with what they were able to do, you know, in terms of, I don't know if you folks have been following me at all, but I've been training a lot with, you know, stunts, weapons, so I'm looking, I'm looking at it from that angle as well. So I, I have an appreciation for it, for what they've been able to put together thus far, you know, and the technical aspects of it, the, the heroic, the lightning aspects of it. Sure, sure. But, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, any of you, any of you, any of you that have been following the show for a minute, you know why I'm here. You know I'm with you. But... Let me say this, and don't jump, don't jump on me. Don't send me any hate tweets, please. But if we can just, you know, be real for a moment. This is a black show. This is okay. a black show. Black, straight up. All the couple of white people that you see are racist cops. The one Asian you see is some victim that doesn't say nothing. She just, you know... Telling the cops, oh, a black man, you know, robbed my liquor store, so that's why you see her face in the cop car. Like, oh, okay, is this the one? Is this the one that did it? And, and whatever. I mean, like, let, let's just be honest for what they presented us thus far. This is a black show. Let's just call it for what it is. I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that in terms of, you know, <laughs> In terms of who they're trying to, you know, cater to, I, I hey, I get it. I get it. And like I said, any amount of success and popularity that this show is able to acquire, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. We need more of this. In fact, now that I've had a chance to see it, I completely understand why this show is designed to do its own thing and it is not meant to be incorporated into the Arrowverse that we've, you know, seen thus far with Arrow, Supergirl, Flash, Legends, all that. I totally get it now, now that I've had a chance to watch it, all right? I, for a half a second, for a half a second in the pilot episode, I was getting kind of uh, intrigued with the Lala character, you know? For half a second, I kind of wanted to understand this, this backstory, this history that they share, you know, and I like the fact that it's like, yeah, you're, you know, wait, whoa, 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 you, 
you teach them your way, I'll teach them mine. You know, I, I, I wanted to delve into that more. But then by the second episode, I he just, uh, he, he reverted right back to just being a crony. You know, just being a, a, a minion, a, a nothing character, over the top, over the top, just like the Will character. And you're going to tell me that he he don't know? He don't know that this girl in the pilot episode is is, uh, is Jefferson Pierce's daughter? I mean, you, you, you call him the, oh, he's like, he's like the mayor. You know, everybody loves him. He's like the mayor of Freeland. But you don't know? That this chick is his daughter in the club when you you telling this fool to uh, to uh, you know pimp her out so that he can pay his due or whatever. I'm just I'm sorry, but there was just so many pieces of this in which I felt like the characters weren't quite developed, the writing wasn't quite on point. It was a little bit too on the nose, and I uh, ugh, I don't know I don't know I just I just I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I saw potential. I saw moments. I saw characters that had potential. But then by the second episode, even with that whole little bit in which they kind of did their uh, their version of um, Kingsman, Kingsman, where they got the secret hideout in the, the tailor. Oh, right, right, know, the right, The tailor's right, right. Uh, shoe shop, but his, uh, you know, the, the white guy, James Remar, the only white guy. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they do their little version of Kingsman. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm cool with that. But in terms of really getting me to give a damn about any of the characters, about anything that was going on, it was just so over the top. It was kind of hammy at, at certain points. You know, kind of, if I'm going to be real, kind of boring at certain points. You know, I just, um, I don't know, folks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but that's me. Well, that's how I feel. I just can't, I can't get with it. Well, I, I appreciate the fact that not everything's going to be your cup of tea. And to be honest with you, and it's all about being honest on the mic. I mean, if we all suffer. If, it's, if there is a thing about suffering for this show is uh, unabashed honesty, so we would expect you to be honest, is that I didn't really start having, getting into Black Lightning on some level until episode two. And I think some of the, some of the beats that I saw in episode two, like especially the music, the, the fact – maybe my expectations were so low that when, when certain things came through that I actually appreciated, like I liked the fact that you saw him somewhat writhing in pain, that he was uh, this middle-aged guy kind of coming back into the fold. Um, uh, they kind of made reference to him perhaps having an addiction, uh, I think was unfair, but they threw that out there. They thought that he might have an addiction, or his wife thought, thought that he has an addiction to the power or to being a superhero, that they had uh, vintage Al Green in the background. I mean, you know, the music is kind of hinting at a Luke Cage kind of thing, but at least they're trying to go for that. Um, I don't necessarily want to see, like, this street-level crime all the time. That's what's going to be problematic. I don't know how, how long that's going to be the case. But as far as the Kingsman setup, that's part of – that's canon. Like, that, that – his Alfred, so to speak, is very much in tune – with uh, the comic book, with with the mythology, um, I th- I heard some folks in the Twitterverse they were a little bit like, well, we didn't know that his older daughter was gay and that she has a relationship and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's part of the mythology. Like some people are like looking at things and not understanding that yeah, that's some of the beats are what we want to see. If you're familiar with 
I believe she's going to have well, I already know that that uh she has this one I forgot the Thunder, I think is the older one. Thunder and Lightning. Um at some point we probably will see them with their own uniforms and we've already seen like the the photographs of them online. But uh I don't know if they're going to tap into Grace Choi being an Amazon and having superpowers, but she has a relationship with that. So for the LGBTQ um representation they were pretty straight up with it later on in episode two. So, is it perfect? No. Uh, we saw an actor of color who suffers from albinism. Uh, that's also part of the mythology. Um, but the writing, yeah, you have a point. I mean, CW is going to be CW. <laughs> but I think even even with the writing, it's still a little bit better than some of the stuff that we're used to with the CW. But expecting the CW to be what you were saying, but I. I thought that the imagery, some of it, some of it was getting to me. Some of it, I was like, okay, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hanging in there, um, but I don't want to really see like street crime all the way through because that can be hackneyed. But that is also part of the mythology. I mean, Jefferson Pierce. And I, I understand that. Let- I, I understand that, and I respect that. And you know, I think that to me, all, already it was just, it was feeling so over the top. It was just feeling so tired in terms of what it means to be a thug, in terms of you know the the the, the gang and and that whole scene and 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 just it just I was so irritated with the younger daughter. I was so irritated like with her. I was like, how stupid are you? Like I just wanted to slap her. I was so because frankly, let's let's just face it. I'm I've gotten to the point now where I'm I have no patience. For people anymore, I don't have no patience, okay. And so when I see this, and the excuse is, oh well, she's young. Oh, she's young. Yeah, but I, how many times do we have to see the typical victim idiot girl, the dumbass girl? Yeah, yeah that's right. I'm saying it. I'm saying it, folks. The stupid ass girl putting herself in some ridiculously absurd, dangerous situation. But here, she's like, oh, no, don't be thinking that you can do this. Don't be thinking you can, I'll just kind of, you know, front, front, like I'm tough, front. Like, nah, you can't get get with me like that. Nah, it ain't going to be that easy. Uh-uh, and throwing her neck, giving the attitude. And I'm like, please, girl, please. In my mind, I'm not saying girl. I'm saying something else. But, but you know, you know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm thinking. I'm just irritated. I'm irritated because it's so tired, folks. Come on. I understand that this is just part of the setup. We have to have some sort of instigation, some sort of, you know, situation, some sort of trigger that gets our hero back in the game, gets him back from retirement. So the stakes got to be high, and what stakes could be higher than having their, you know, the, the, the daughters, having the family in danger. I understand that. Don't get me wrong. In terms of the structure, in terms of the beats, in terms of what needs to occur to get certain things to to, to move the plot in a certain direction, I I get it. I get it. I follow. I'm with you, all right? And even then, there are just, you know, only a couple moments throughout all of this very tired, hackneyed, recycled, just really not subtle, like on-the-nose kind of writing that's in your face. Even then, I'm still able to, to parse bits and pieces that I can be like, oh, okay, well, the writers, the producers, whoever was behind this, clearly they had something to say. 
They had something that they wanted to get off their chest. Okay, fine. All right. That's what this is. Art is the ability in which to, to speak your speak your truth, express yourself, your commentary on society. Fine. That that little bit between Tobias and, and Lala when he says something about the dorkies and Lala was like, Dang, like you you really hate black people, don't you? And then Tobias, he just goes off and he says, No, I love black people. I just don't like and he just he just spits out all the most ugly and, and hateful just shy, just shy of being, you know, R rated, but some ugly terminology. All right? And so you kind of see where he's coming from with that. And I was again, there's moments, there's potential. There's moments in which you kind of get drawn in, like, whoa, where did that come from? Why does he feel that way? What's, what, you know, what's that all about? Can we explore that on a deeper level and not in such a surface, shallow, you know, trying to, I'm trying to make a point and then all of a sudden cut to something else that's not as important. So, like I said, there's potential. I see it. I'm not blind to it. But, damn, the show lacks subtlety. The oh, writing look, is clunky I, I, as hell, I, and I, I just, oh. Listen, I was, I was hoping you could have made it, like, to the end of episode two. But, uh, look, I'm going to stick with it for a bit until I, until I exit, because I'm good for, like, exiting at a certain point. I just saw subtle improvements as things were going on. And, again, I thought it was better than the average CW show because we know full and well that some of the CW stuff is just all about surface-level, you know, Riverdale. I mean, listen, you know, I have yet to see Riverdale because it just looks like uh, a runway model, runway models in Riverdale. They might as well just call it. And it's so far removed from the Archie Comics thing. I mean, you know, it, I just can't handle it. So... And that's uh, fine. I mean, that's, that's their bread and butter too. That's their bread and butter, not just DC, but well, they they well, they working. have come a, a long ways with all these uh, pretty white people soap opera, Dynasty, all that crap. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Let them let them do their thing. Let them have it. But I just felt like, listen, I wasn't expecting you know Marvel Netflix quality, you know, of writing and production value or acting or anything like that. I'm not expecting that, but I just. You know what, honestly, honestly, I've kind of grown a little bit weary of all of the, the DCCW stuff. I mean, we're in, what, season six of Arrow, I believe? I'm done. I'm, I think I tapped out at, like, around late fourth season or early fifth season. I tapped out. I'm, I'm about a good year behind an Arrow. At some point, it was, it's like cosplay to me. And I said exactly. that on, on our like, show. Exactly. Like, this is just... Silliness. This is just absurd. We're in season four of Flash. We're in season three of Supergirl. You know, season three of Legends. Like, I mean, it just you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm tired just talking about it. I'm just, I'm already winded just talking about all the The, different plot lines and the ways in which these are wound about in, in over the years. And I've gotten to be a little, dare I say, a little fatigued, all right? Well, I think listen, Flash is, a, is not nearly as good as it used to be. This is I the same Supergirl network they gave like, you. I think you know, up and down. This is the same network they gave you, Vampire Diaries, enough said. Real, real quick, I want to go into the chat room just to answer a question. 
um, I believe, was it, was it uh, John Hutton? Oh, yeah, John Hutton, he says, I didn't get the addiction thing with Black Lightning 2. Addicted to his powers, what does that even mean? I think it's a, I think it's a combination of, of, of two things, uh, John Hutton. This is just me theorizing. One was you did see him writhing in pain on his bathroom floor when he just started, started to use his powers. So like an addict, uh, someone who you see going through withdrawal or whatever, there is a physical component to addiction. So that, that might be one thing. That's his wife throwing that out there. And also there's the, the deal with him perhaps being addicted to a vigilante. Uh, that's, well, that's, that's a well-known trope to, to comic books. Um, Iron Man has that has been that has been a of Iron Man in his mythology on a on a kind of a double entendre way. Uh, Tony Stark, we know, Demon in the Bottle. That was a famous, a well-known storyline going back to the '80s, where uh, Tony Stark develops a alcohol problem. Uh, you see him, you know, you see him staring uh, that famous combo cover where you see him staring into his into the mirror and he's disheveled and everything. You know, he looks like an addict. Um, and also, I think even in in the in the t- the, the uh, cinema part of it, even on the movies in the movies, pardon me, I believe Pepper Potts kind of threw something at him about him not being able to give up that suit. That that there's an addictive thing to being a vigilante, the power element to being a superhero. So I guess what I'm saying is, it could be one or two of those things. That the fact that he wants to mix it up into the mix it up on the street. And, and and really get at these people, you know his his uh I forgot the guy's name, but the Taylor slash um, uh, Alfred guy, uh, Remar, Gandhi. the actor. Right, thank you. He told her, well, I don't think he's addicted. I mean, that's that. It's this. His wife doesn't want him to go out there and lose his life for it. She doesn't, she doesn't want him want that life for him. But he ha- he's a, he has the metagene. He that is who he is. But I think they threw that out there that he might be addicted to. He says it stretches the definition of addiction. They have, listen, people are sec- allegedly sexually addicted. People are addicted to the internet. People are de- addicted to social media. So stretching addiction, addiction can be whatever it is. I mean, I, I, I can see where you're going with this, but that's not that's part of the comic book mythology. I think has been Batman has been put out there to being potentially addicted. To going out and beating up people every day, every night. This, I and think, if you want to go down so, that so road, different. you know, if you want to go down that road, even though you just just listed multiple examples in which that has been brought up in superhero mythologies, if you want to, okay, fine, but don't do it in freaking episode two. Don't do it in episode one. Like, give us a damn minute for me to get to know this man. To, to see him in action, to see him do his thing, before you try to lay on the, the, the drama, the drama drama, with, oh, it's, he's addicted, it's an addiction. Oh, my God, I, I just can't see him like this. I just can't, I can't deal with it. You know what, that's, this, is, this is it. This is why I'm so turned off, because for me, the second I detect any sort of melodrama, soap opera nonsense, over-the-top, Hammy, I'm sorry. That's that's. I think this is why I'm I'm feeling so irritated by it. It's because, the, regardless of whether or not it's superhero, or CW or whatever, it just 
the second I see that in the in the style, the tone of the writing and the story development, I'm turned off. I immediately run in the opposite direction. Well, look, but let's, I, let's but go through quick. Everything you've mentioned, let's, don't get me wrong, I appreciate it. That whole LGBT, LGBTQ, IA, all that, you know, that storyline with the daughter, Nissa. Right. I'm I'm cool with that. I'm totally cool with that. That's hey, that's great. That's great. Now you you if you're gonna go for it, go all the way. Don't just pay lip service to it like with your other your other CW shows. Your other you know. Oh look at look at us. Look at us. Aren't we so cool and trendy? We're we're so with the times. We're so multicultural and we have gay relationships and we, some of these shows they just pay lip service. It's very shallow. It's one dimensional. You know trying to show out, but really there's no substance to that story arc. So for her to have that, those moments, that scene, very intimate, I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. Great. Great. You know? But I just feel like, especially, for, oh, my God, especially for the younger daughter, but some of these characters have not been fleshed out at all. It's just it's so one-dimensional, and it's, I'm sorry. Ooh, it's just driving me crazy. Well, it's driving me well, crazy. well look, you know, we're complaining about the CW. I, I think we should leave it at that. <laughs> uh, folks, again, but did we, we have, have this complaint? Did we have these kind of complaints when when uh, when Flash came out or or whoever, whatever? Yes, <laughs> uh, folks. If you haven't guessed it, that you're hearing the voice of Claire Lene. I am your host, D. Bert, co-host D. Bert, aka the Afro Nerd. The rest of the team, for some reason, I, I just got a, a a text from Captain, and he's saying his phones. I think some folks had difficulty after getting in. It's some issues with Blog Talk, which I'm not. I'm not shocked that Blog Talk Tech is that issue. And again, folks, um, just a reminder: Patreon is coming. You know, listen, we've got to give Claire a salary. Um, <laughs> that's one part that's important, integral, and also we want to grow. <laughs> well, I've got to be honest. I see. Uh, I see other people getting their Patreon game up, and they're not giving you half of what we're giving you. Um, there's the website that is up, but it needs to be completed. Shout out to our friend, the great Sally B. I'm going to speak with her um, probably when we see Black Panther in a few weeks. You've got to go over some particulars to complete the site. Um, you know, hosting fees. Uh, there's fees to broadcast on Block Talk Radio. I mean, there's some things that just, that just have to be. And our whole intent is not for it to just be, okay, yes, it's a black theme uh, podcast, but more importantly, it's a diverse podcast, so we want to be able to give you information outside of it just being uh, mainstream corporate stuff. I see other uh, minority-themed, um, uh, ethnic-oriented podcasts, and they're talking about mainstream product, product all day when there's other things going on. And I want it to be, at the very least, 50-50. Yeah, we can talk about you know, mainstream stuff like Arrow and Blight Lightning and what have you. But there's, there are other things by other artists, Asian artists, um, uh, Latinx artists, uh, Native American artists, and, and properties. And I want to get into this stuff. I want to be able to do it and give you that information. But you, we need help. So let's say another two weeks we're going to get the Patreon page up at the very least. And uh, bluntly, I have no choice because Bison was on me when I went to the Black Comic Festival um, a few weeks ago. Uh, some cats came up to me and said, listen, man. In my face, when you get the Patreon up, I'm getting ready to give you some money. Um, and, hey, it costs money to run the show. I'm going to be honest with you. And we need 
and we want to go further. We want to be able to be one of the top podcasters uh, on the scene. And I see other folks, not to be, ha- not to be hateful, but some folks are a little lame. <laughs> they can't give you what, what uh, Claire Linnea and myself can give you. Claire Linnea is in the business. She's in L.A. That means something. So, and you should see her, her, uh, you see her mixing it up with the, uh, at the gun range. I, I wouldn't mess with her. So it's going down. <laughs> All right, listen, let's go to a quick Herb Alt Groove. We're going to take a break. I actually want to talk about something again. This is what I'm talking about, getting into some stuff. I want to I get around, get away from the Oscar soul black and white. We're going to get into that, by the way. That's, we're going to get to that. There's a, there's a new comic book that's coming out. And I mistakenly thought that the character was black. But, but in, actual, in actuality, the character is Polynesian, a Polynesian assassin. And it's by John Romita Jr. and Dan Abnett. And I like the premise. I like when we have uh, white supporters bringing multiracial product. I like when they – listen, I, we have to have – we have to have allies, right? But Claire, I'm gonna say it straight up. I, I would, would it would it hurt to have a Tahitian or a Tongan or a Samoan uh, writer? If you're gonna, sometimes it's like, okay, I don't want to just see a Polynesian character. I want to know more about Polynesian culture. I don't know if John Ramita, who I suspect is Italian descent, I don't know if he's gonna be able to give me that Polynesian culture cultural aspect but i appreciate that he thought of thought of the character but i think we're at a point now we gotta don't we have to have the people that actually know something about the culture writing about the the character i'm just saying i'm just saying i don't know call me crazy anyway we'll get in we'll get it in that character by the way is called uh the silencer the silencer which is coming up i believe next week anyway Courtesy of DC. Quick groove, then we'll be right back, people. Uh, this is the, the ephemerals. That's right, the ephemerals. And if we could, we'd say. I see the captain's coming in. Finally. Two minutes, we'll be right back. Let's go. <laughs>
Rushing on those polluted streets Running in pipes under our feet We looked at the natural world And built nothing in this image Are you still looking up at those concrete squares and glass towers Hoping one day they blossom like flowers Like flowers in the hippies hair Creative people, how much longer can you stand? Tell me you're not tired of moving to the latest great neighborhood Only to find this new place to be at Cool enough for rich folks to put a luxury flat when you hang your hat Move out the city Move off a dry line altogether, be afloat Do your emails and flip-flops on your boat Where the pigs won't bother you when you smoke, leave the city I'm not saying be alone Just give your mind time to think and grow Creators, wireless communication has been invented. You don't physically have to be standing next to the person who's telling you what to draw, how to film, when to play. You'll still have a boss, though. I'm afraid I can't make that go away. But you can ignore them for one more day if you leave the city. Kick aside your nine to five and be alive. Live your dream by the riverside. Leave the debt, destruction, and corruption. You deserve better than being robbed in the confusion. Forced to give the man back the money you sold your soul to earn. Creative people, now it's our turn. All right, just a taste, just a skosh, once again, the ephemerals. And if we could, we'd say. Folks, you're not going to listen to that kind of groove on conventional radio. Trust me on that. You're going to get Migos and little Uzi Verts. There are other things going on, people. Trust me on that. I, I can't stop but giving you new Muzak. Again, ephemerals. And if we could, we'd say. All right, people. Uh, remember, the call-in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Uh, just for informational purposes, uh, the, the, the uncanny Daryl B., Claire's doppelganger, and myself, we were on a, a cool podcast called Slice of Sci-Fi. Shout out to Summer Brooks. She was the host. And we, we got real nerdy, blurdy with it. Um, we were talking about the Marvel Netflix shows, our impressions, and we were ranking and really getting in to the, just how good they are. So I put a link into the chat room. Again, sliceofsci-fi.com. Shout out to Summer Brooks for the opportunity. We'll probably be back at some point. Uh, just letting our nerd fly, nerd flag, you know, fly high, as it were. All right, I see that the captain is back. Let me bring him in. I don't know if he can bring him. Can, can you? You have control of the boards, Cap? Yeah, I got control of the boards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. So all right. Uh, yeah. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I tried calling you, and I kept on getting a message. Yeah, you, you, know, you know what it is? It, it, it's all those conversations with uh, Craig, great Lord Craig at Lord. I think that's what it is. No phone was working, and none of the Wi-Fi was working. <laughs> and then the Wi-Fi well, just listen. started working. <laughs> listen, I, I have right. my fear. I used my superpowers. I zapped it because I, I wanted to be heard. I didn't want to be interrupted. <laughs> Listen, let's 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 get into this thing. I, I was a little annoyed. Uh, I put the the um the link into the chat room. It's from bleedingcool.com, and it's entitled "John Romita Jr. Wants to Be the Most Un PC Person in All of Comics." Now, how you do that in this environment, I don't know. I think that's wishful thinking. That PC thing, PC culture is big. So he says he wants to be the un PC person. He'll shut you down in the Twitterverse. So, I mean, 
Okay, have at it. Anyway, comic book called The Silencer, which I believe is of the, is a new uh, imprint for DC. DC's new age of DC heroes. It's a new initiative, a game. DC's new age of DC heroes. So there are a number of books. I think Daryl was talking about the Terrifics, where you have Mr. Terrific uh, headlining a, a number of different iconic superheroes, get, you know, giving him essentially his own team. So there are a number of books coming out, and the first one coming out, again, I believe next week, The Silencer Number 1. It's a dark-complected woman with, uh, like, a buzz cut with uh, blonde hair. So I thought she was of African descent. But I'm going to read this. This is from um, Mr. Romita himself. He says, she's not a white person. She's not African-American. She's a person of color from the South Pacific of Polynesian descent. Ramita explained in the interview, I adore Tahiti. So here we go now. Here we, see, I didn't read this part. This explains it. I adore Tahiti. I went there on many vacations. So I threw in the tattoos and I threw in the look. Anything to be different. And I was scrambling to be different stuff, to do different stuff. And the editors and Dan liked the idea. We didn't do the standard fare and fill all the diversity and PC gaps, Ramita Jr. insisted. We just tried to do something slightly different. Uh, here's the description of the issue number one. Uh, again, this is the silencer. Code of Honor, part one. She's one of the DC's universe's deadliest assassins, and you've never, never heard of her. Super strong, highly trained, armed with devastating and stealthy metahuman abilities. The silencer is virtually invincible, or at least she was. After decades as Leviathan's chief assassin, Honor guests, that's her name, Honor guests put in her time and managed to get out with her skin intact. Now she lives a normal life with a normal family in a normal house on a normal street. But the past has come back to haunt her in the form of her old employer and a deadly new, deadly new mission, new mission, pardon me, and Talia Al Ghul won't take no for an answer. Okay. Again, Talia Al Ghul is also, she's of Asian descent, uh, the, the, the daughter of Raish Al Ghul. I mean, this is my problem, ladies and gentlemen. I want to see people of color, not just black people, because it, because it's just, at the very least, I want to learn about other cultures, and I want to see different looks. Claire's from the West Coast. We see all kinds of people. I, I like, unlike our president, I actually like to see different features. I don't like seeing the same people, different features, different cultures, you know, different food, there's a, different ways of, of, of thought and culture. This is what I want to see. But I don't know if someone who visits Tahiti for a few moments is going to give me Polynesian culture. This, this sounds like effery to me. But I'm going to stick with it because I, 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 I want to see the face. I want to see the face, but we're already, we're already messed up. I, I don't know. Something about it bothers me. What are, your, what are your thoughts? Let's go to the captain because we haven't heard him for a minute. What, what, am, I, am I looking into it too deeply? Or is it, this is business, business as usual, isn't it? You to see how it develops. Maybe both for your part. Hold on. Hold on, Cap. You're kind of blurry. Something's up with your, your mic or something. You're like way. How do I sound now? A little bit better. Hello? You're way, way muffled. 
a little bit better. You see, that's yeah. them. <laughs> As I was saying, it may be both. Okay. You know? Can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? I can hear you. Oh, okay. I said it might be both. You might be looking into it way too much, and it's business as usual. That's what it may be. Trend for the moment. That's all. Nothing for me to speak wrong on. You know, we just have to wait and see how this develops. Well, Claire, (laughs) here we go again. This is a character of Polynesian descent. Um, There are a number of ethnic groups within the Polynesian umbrella. It would have been nice if we had maybe a Samoan writer. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, we we are all looking for Asian and Native. Hell, I would like to see Native American representation. Only kind of book of note that I can think of, and I think is going to get a TV series, is Scout. And even that, you know, it's it's called Scout, which is, you know, old school uh, effery, you know, going back into the 19th century. So... Even that may be problematic, but uh, here we go with uh, – look, um, I'll say this quickly. Everyone's talking about Black Panther. Fine. But we have to remember Black Panther came about because of, I guess, uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee being somewhat magnanimous and going there. But it took another, I don't know, 30 years for a person of color to actually write the Black Panther. So I just feel uncomfortable that in 2018 – we have a white guy, and I like John, Ramute, John Ramita Jr. I like his father. His father is a legend. But, uh, you know, you have a white person that kind of went to Tahiti, fell in love with the culture, and now he feels comfortable enough to write about the culture or, the, or to, to, to go into – to do this. I, I don't know. I mean, is, that, is it time – I'm not saying white people can't write black characters or, or characters of, of color – but at some point, we need to have an authentic voice for the character. That, that's, that's all. Your thoughts? Um, I mean, this is just so. This is just so normal. You know, this is so normal, and the fact that you know we're still in the early stages of of even having characters of color you know, being featured and having their own storylines and their own books. And it's just, <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know. I, you, like, you just said it. You just said that it took decades for an actual black person to write for Black Panther. Wow. It took decades for that to happen? Really? It took 20 years? After Margaret Cho to get a show called Fresh Off the Boat? I mean, really? We're talking decades? So if that's the pace of progress, then this doesn't surprise me. This doesn't surprise me. I don't really even care, to be honest with you. I mean, this is just how things are done. I mean, didn't we just talk about that uh, Sobolski the guy that was pretending Sibelsky, to be Sibelsky, Japanese. right. You know? Some white guy pretending to be a Japanese writer so that, oh, look at us, you know, our, our, 
our Asian centric comic book is uh, is is uh, authentic. We got a, a Japanese dude to write this crap, and uh, it turns out it was a white guy. So you know, I mean, none of this really shocks me. I don't. I don't know. Nothing nothing shocks me anymore. This is just how it is. It's funny because I was on set the other day just doing, you know, background work and, and whatever, you know, feature here, feature there, whatever. It's it's just small potatoes. It's a paycheck, right? I can be real about it, you know. I'm not going to stand here and tell y'all that I'm, I'm some big superstar trying to name drop. No, it's, it's not like that. I'm just paying my dues, you know. And and doing what I can, but wherever I go, you know, actors, we, we talk, we commiserate, we vent, we talk shop about the industry and whatever, right? And all the time, people are trying to tell me, oh, Claire, I mean, you're, you're so in right now. Oh, yeah, ethnic uh. is in. It's so uh. in. They're looking for you. And every time... Every time, and I know they don't mean nothing by it. They're trying to, in fact, they they think that they're helping me. They think that they are uh, encouraging me, trying to tell me that, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's very in fashion to be ethnic right now. They're looking for your kind. And I'm like, really? Is that so? Because I don't see any real evidence of that. They're looking for me? I'm right here. I've been here. Don't tell me that they've been looking for me, and don't tell me that, oh, being Asian is, you know, trendy. Don't tell me that on the heels of Ghost in the Shell. Don't tell me that crap that, oh, yeah, they're looking for you, they like you, on the heels of the ancient one, Dr. Strange. Don't don't tell me that crap. Don't tell me that because you think like, oh, well, yeah, this is your time to shine. And nah, nah, that's that's not what it's all about. That's not what you mean. That's not what's going on here. That, oh, yeah, now they're really looking for more Asian talent to really tell the story, be the characters that are, you know, front and center to, to you know, to be integral to the plot or the, the development of this franchise or whatever. No, that's not what you're talking about. When you say that they're looking for my kind, that they really, my, my look is in right now, what you mean is that right now they are willing to let us even be on the screen. So right now I should be so grateful, I should be so damn happy and excited that they are willing to even allow my kind, my look, on the damn screen. So that I can make all the white people look good. I mean, that's why, and maybe that's why I kind of, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I gave a bit of a side eye when I saw the old Asian lady, you know, in that freaking Black Lightning episode. Didn't have nothing to say, but she's the enemy. And I'm just like, oh, really, really, okay, all right. So that's what you mean. That's what y'all mean when you say that it's. It's uh, it's in to be ethnic, right? It's in to be a token. It's in style. I'm I'm just so over it. I'm done. I'm done. So fine, Romita, highly respected. You wanna you wanna write about some uh, Tahitians because you took a vacation? Okay, fine. All right. All right. 
you want to give some Polynesians a little shine? You want to give them the spotlight in your book? Okay. You like the tattoos? You like the design aspects? You like the culture? You think it's so interesting? Okay. Fine. This is nothing new. We're just set dressing. We're just set dressing. You know? They think it's so exotic. Ooh, that looks so exotic, so interesting. Let's let's put that in for flavor. This is nothing new. Yeah, it's it's unsettling. It's unsettling that again, as you just said, you know, decades went by. You know, now we're all into this black lightning thing and you know, it, it's revolutionary that you have a Ryan Coogler and all these and all like the kind of black people behind the scenes, you know, working its way. And actually the product might be a good product if if you know if it works according to plan, but it, look how long it took, and it's it's and, it, and and again, everyone's kind of hoping that this one film opens up the door for everybody else. I mean, it's it's really insulting, but it's the way of the world that we have to always go by the event, or one particular film has to answer everything for everybody. Whereas uh, the the big issue is there is a corporate standard and corporate power that they, 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 they make the decisions for all this stuff. Um, John Ramita goes on vacation, and he digs Tahitian culture, and then he, he has the, the privilege to just say, okay, I'm going to move this chess piece of color because I kind of dig, dig their style. But when he's going into, well, she, she is living a normal life, and she's a, she has a, a family, what do you know about a Polynesian family? like the inner workings of a family to, to give it some resonance, to give it some, fl- some flavor. I don't think you can do that by going on a vacation a couple of times. And again, being an outsider t- t- trying to disculture. Now, this is something people don't want don't to don't hear from us. They don't want to hear this aspect of it. But un- unfortunately, I know Claire knows where I'm coming from, people of color can write about white people, though. We can't do it. Now, that flip side, people don't want to hear that, but we have to deal with white people, it, whether it's relationships, whether it's it, uh, intimacies, whether it's business, business, whether it's education, getting a loan. We, we don't have an option not to deal with white people. Uh, black folks especially, listen, we were raising white children. Uh, white children suckled on the breasts of black women. So – even to this day, you see nannies of care and being um, surrogate parents for white children. We know about white people. But you know what? White folks don't have to know about black people. It takes a special person to want to go to, 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 go to a culture and learn about, go, you know, listening to Afronaut Radio, listening to Claire Lene, mixing it up with people of color. It, it takes, it's a special kind of person who wants to know. But that most white folks, unfortunately, many white people, this has been said statistic, statistically, really don't have that many friends of color. They just don't. They don't interact with black people for some reason. So uh, I appreciate that, okay, yes, you, know, you, you, you are, are going into, and I probably will pick up the first issue, the silencer. But I, I, I'm, I'm a kind of a, I feel a certain kind of way where, an opportunity is lost where we could actually 
get into the inner workings of, of Polynesian culture. I don't see how John Ramita is going to do it. It is what it is. Okay, let's, let's go to this other topic, which is somewhat connected, I think. Um, I was talking to the captain about this. I put the link in our chat room, you know, a, a year and a half ago. It really hasn't been that long that we had the April rain. April rain is a, a media, media Twitterverse person. And she came up with the tagline, hashtag Oscars so white. And I think that was a 2016 where it was noted rather glaringly there were no folks of color really present in that, in that landscape. So black folks bellowed, which is, and I remember talking about this to my chagrin. I don't necessarily, I didn't really want folks to kind of like, what about us? What about us? But, you know, we do that. We bellowed and then we get a few shekels. That's that whole patriarchal massa relationship. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going there. So we see a number of black folks getting some projects, some properties, some shine. So now I see, a year and a half later, we see some folks saying, hashtag Oscars so black and white. Kind of, in my estimation, kind of putting black folks under the, under the heel. And look, black folks are the ones that asked for the conversation to my chagrin i want i want our own infrastructure i want uh i want uh uh intersectionality believe it or not i want black and brown yellow folks to kind of get their things together i want it to work cooperatively i want that and i also want a little bit of tribalism i want both to coexist i'm asking for a lot because uh, we've seen how that works and it, it it works smashingly it's a beautiful thing to see when i go to afropunk and i see Black faces, yellow faces, red faces. I see all of that imbibing, grooving. That's, that's what I want to see. But I think what's happening, and this is just my opinion, is we're seeing some black folks getting some crumbs, and now other folks are saying, what's going on? And I'm like, I understand that. But remember, the, di- the, question, the diversity question was brought up by black folks in, in the first place. The canary in the coal mine situation. Oscar's so white. Again, I don't. I didn't necessarily agree with it, but it was a black woman that started the started the conversation. Now that the conversation has started, and I understand that this is not a binary racial ethnic conversation. It is a little bit of well, you black folks are getting put on. What about us? Well, yes, that's true. But God, goddamn, we started the conversation. Now. You're defecating on black folks like we have that power. White folks, I'm saying, I'm going to speak in more blunt language. White folks pulled the trigger. They got tired of Negroes whining and complaining and hollering. So they gave us a few shekels. I want everyone. I really want more than shekels. I want infrastructure. I, I don't want, this is what Claire was just talking about. That whole thing, that whole thing about where being ethnic is in. I don't want things to be in. I want things to be default. I want. Uh, immersion or diversity to be default. Didn't we just see something, Captain? I want you to weigh in and we'll, we'll go around the horn. Didn't uh, Google, some Google white conservative folks say that they are putting in claims because they don't like people talking? They don't want diversity talk at the workplace. Well, imagine that. Just the mentioning of diversity in the workplace is making white people uncomfortable. 
So that's going on at the same time that people are saying Oscar's so black and white, as if black folks are part of the equation. We just bellowed, and white folks, because of our patriarchal relationship, they conceded to us for a hot minute. This will, this will, be, this will come to pass, unfortunately. Anyway, Captain, you say your words, and then we get to the lovely Clay Lene. Your thoughts, sir? Well, over the course of history, you know, the blacks have been the canary in the coal mine, as we spoke before. They go in, they get a little bit of shine, they show their teeth, you know, everyone's all happy, jumping up and down. Other groups come in, but probably not as much as the black people. And then the powers that be, but the powers that be control access, and they roll it back. That's what they do. It's not a constant thing. It's ebb and flow, ebb and flow. And unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, that's pretty much how it works in this country. It goes like that. You know, those of you who are old enough to remember, with Hollywood, you had black exploitation movies. You know, that was the only thing running. That was what was keeping up Hollywood. After Hollywood got going really well, they said, okay, let's roll it back. That's enough for you Negroes. Push you back. Then you look at a lot of these top black shows that we have. We had a good little run. Yeah, you know, coming in here, you know, truth be told, there really should be more. Again, what's happening now? What's happening now? You're starting to see a resurgence. Again, this is a nothing new. If you're 20, 25 years of age, you might think this is something new. This is nothing new. It ebbs and flows. And as it begins to flows, flow, all the groups turn around and say, start saying, me too, me too, me too, me too. That's because access is controlled by the powers that be. They're the ones. It's their infrastructure. It's how they feel on that given day. You know? Now, Always got to go back to Black Panther. Now, Black Panther does well. There may be some flow. Well, maybe about six years. I'm just guesstimating. There's no rhyme or reason with that. But actually, there is. Because we have a history on the powers that be that have been setting this up since day one. Maybe about six years. And they roll it back. So hence, as Afro Nerd says, you need an infrastructure. Because you can't keep going to the powers that be and they turn around and say, all right, you're the last one in musical chairs. Oh, that's it. No more. Now we're going to go this way. Now, if you have your own infrastructure, somehow, some way, you start going that way. It's best to have both options. So this is what we're dealing with here in this country. This is what it is. This is what happens when you have a lot of, you know, this is what happens in a multicultural state. It's just to be truthful, you know, when you're dealing with certain towers that be. Back over to you, Afro nerd. Let me go. I'm going to bring Claire in, in two seconds. I want to go to this. Um, I put the link in the chat room. This is from theroot.com. And I have my problems with the root, as many of our listeners um, have heard me in the last couple of weeks. This is one paragraph. It says, It's true. This makes the sixth year in a row that no Latinx actors have been nominated for an Acting Academy Award. And only 1% of Oscar nominations have gone to Asian actors in the past 89 years. That's effing incredible. And yet, the vitriol and rhetoric of hashtag Oscar so black and white make clear that the hashtag is about more than addressing non-black Latinx and Asian underrepresentation is an outlet for anti-black claims that black people are hogging all the diversity now that 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 may be I mean listen Claire may have a different perspective on this you know I don't know but I will say that um, 
when you hear someone say hogging all the diversity, it means there's a limit to it. Uh, when we spoke about this, Claire brought this to my attention because it, 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 it's so much effery. That article that with this um, writer, saw, I think she even referenced Fresh Off the Boat and a few Asian shows. But you know, it, and it was even a Latin comedian that I really loved her show too, uh, Latina, who, who um, I forgot her name. And it, she, her show didn't last long, and it was really good too. Um, we, a, few, a few shows, and she says, well, this is too much. I'm like, wow. So it, you can't use a term like hogging all the diversity. There should be no limit to that. It's like 100 people sucking on a neck bone. That's not what it's about. What it's about is this has to be part of the infrastructure where I should be seeing Asian folk, Native American people, brown people, black people, uh, LGBTQs. Everybody should get should be seen as default and as a regular occurrence. It shouldn't be like some special thing. And it's not going to happen unless we have it part of the infrastructure. But we see clearly that when a, little, when a few inches of, of progress are shown, people feel like, all right, stop it. That's it. I don't feel comfortable. I, I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't know. Claire, what are your thoughts about this? Well, I think that, you know, we have to be careful because it's so easy. It's so easy for us to start turning on each other. Exactly. You know, elbowing each other across the face so that we can get what little scraps and crumbs are left on the table. So we just start, you know, cutting people's legs out. We just start, you know, throwing punches. We we just push and shove, even though we all we all should be working together. But sadly, I've seen a lot of this hostility, animosity, competitive attitude, you know, between people of color. And between, oh my God, this was getting absurd, but it was right around that time, within the last couple of years, of that article that you just referenced that we had discussed in great detail when it first came out. And that was when I was on my, uh, you know, like, F deadline. I was so mad at that article. I was like, you know, screw deadline.com. Damn them to hell. <laughs> I was mad because I remember very well how insulting it was when the article with its original headline came out. And the headline originally, before they, a couple days later, they came out with this apology, you know, not a retraction, an apology, and they just changed the headline. But the article itself was the same. The tone is the same. So the original headline was talking about 2015, all right, which was the fall the fall schedule of 2015 leading into 2016, right? And they were saying, oh, 2015, the year of something-something uh, um, diverse shows or diverse casting. And it would say something like, um, is this too much of a good thing? And I kid you not, I kid you not, if I can find it, Within the article, it 
like you said, we discussed this. We discussed this two years ago. She lists five shows, all right, five. We're not even talking about, you know, Netflix and streaming and cable and whatnot. She's just talking about network, like just network shows. So it was Fresh Off the Boat, Blackish, you know, How to Get Away with Murder, Jane the Virgin, all right, stuff like that at the time. Less than a handful of examples, and she, I kid you not, it's in the article, quote me. She says, has the pendulum swung too far in the other direction? Quote. Uh, This is a drop in the bucket. A drop in the bucket of all the TV shows that there are available between, not, not, between all the different platforms, including streaming and basic cable and HBO and Showtime. No, just even within network, within the the alphabets, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, CW, what have you, just within that already, five is just is nothing, all right? That's nothing in the overall scheme of things. But she dared to ask, oh, oh, is it too much? It's too much color. It's too much color. I can't handle all the color. I'm scared of all this color. Oh, they 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 taking over. Oh, they taking over. You know? I'm like, dang. I mean, did she did 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 she know something that we didn't? I mean, was she get was she getting ready for Trump? I mean, good God. Anyway, this was a couple of years ago, right? So, I I get frustrated because already we we, we dealing with that. We dealing with that attitude. You know, they're all like two two shows, two projects here and there popping up, and they're acting like, oh, boy, they, 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 they coming for Whitey. They're coming for Whitey with shotguns. We better get ready. But within the animosity towards each other, I just feel like, man, don't you understand? This is what they want. This is what they want. So that way, instead of us trying to fight them, we too busy fighting each other. So when I hear certain comments that I don't know if it was April Rain or if it was one of her cronies, maybe it was one of her cronies talking about Oscar So White. I don't know for sure if I remember if it was her that made these comments. But when they say stuff like, oh, well, you know, where were you, huh? Where were you? This is our thing, you know, this is our fight. You know, you're just trying to, you know, jump on our coattails and where were you and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, oh, man, facepalm. And then on the flip side, on the flip side, during an interview, Constance Wu, Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat, she got a little attitude too, you know. I'm sure maybe she and I would get along just fine. But she said something that was also a little off-putting. Because when someone said that, oh, well, how do you feel about all this, you know, whitewashing or yellow-facing? And so, you know, it's like yellow-facing, really yellow face, because that's what was happening. You were casting Scarlett Johansson, and you're casting Twelda Swinton to pretend to be Asian. They're putting on a yellow face. So she was looking at that terminology like, nah, I would rather, I think we should just say black-facing because it's more evocative. And oh, people were on. taking issue with that. People were mad at her about that. 
you know, because again, it's kind of sounding like, oh, like there's some hostility. There's some some kind of like, oh, well, you know, them black folks seem to be the only ones that white people consider diverse. When you say diverse, it must mean black, nothing else. So listen, I understand the frustration on both sides of it, but we're not helping anybody by, by fighting each other. We're just making it easier for the white folks. Yes. Because they can just sit back while we, you know, while we argue about, about, you know, what, what crumbs or what scraps that they throw at us. Let me, let me mention this real quick from the dead. I actually put the deadline article um, revisiting it. It's actually uh, the apology. You know, this, this woman, uh, Nellie Andreva was the co-editor-in-chief at Deadline that actually made, you know, what you were just speaking about. Now, the way that the clapback, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial clapback. So we were in unison about the effery. That is what needs to be done. So we we have these moments where we do, where we we coalesce and we work it out, uh, but we got to continue that. But we can't get into this this situation. We were unified momentarily because somebody said something ignorant, and then for one moment in time, we had a common enemy. We were willing to work together to fight the good fight for this cause. But then I swear, every time I hear about these, these hashtags and this and that, all of a sudden, yeah. we hate each other again. Let me read this quickly from the entertainment thing, and then we're going to move forward. There's a lot to discuss. I think the captain had to exit stage right. Uh <laughs> This is from the e- – this is the link that I put into our chat room, the Entertainment Weekly uh, apology. It says, last week – again, we're talking about uh, in March of 2015. Last week, Deadline co-editor-in-chief Nelly Andreva wrote an article suggesting that diversity in television casting is too much of a good thing. Wow. Following backlash from organizations like American Indians in Film and Television, National Hispanic Media Coalition – Asian Pacific America Media Coalition, and NAACP Hollywood Bureau, as well as scandal creator Shonda Rhimes, community writer Dan Harmon, and comedian Billy Eichner, Deadline editor Mike Fleming apologized on Sunday for upsetting readers for the story's headline, uh, Pilots Pilots 2105, the year of ethnic – that's weird. That would be Pilots uh, 2015. Pilots 2015, the year of ethnic casting – about time or too much, much or too much of a good thing. So as you just said, that was the title of the article, and for its insensitive, insensitive use of the word ethnic. Nellie and I apologize deeply and sincerely to those who've been hurt by this. There is no excuse, Fleming said in his column with Variety's Peter Bart. It is important to us that Deadline readers know we understand why we felt betrayed, and that our hearts are heavy with regret. We feel mo- we will move forward determined to do better. Anyway, Claire, I don't want to stay too long on this, but I mean, I guess what what it really boils down to in the game, I I understand fully uh, the the notion that okay, we see some high profile black folks getting getting some some shine, but that's all that it is is shine, and it's it's recently arrived shine. It's not shine where we see this as part of an infrastructure. It's a few black folks that have got a couple of nominations and a, and a couple of shows. That doesn't that doesn't mean that it's infrastructural. That it it is that we have truly arrived, that we have people behind the scenes as, as well as people in front of the camera. That, that's what I'm talking about. It's because the whites that are in, that are in control made it so. And 
they can easily and and this is what this is what happens. I'm reminded of his of the historical coalition between black folks and Jewish people, which could have been which could have been a very powerful coalition. But as expected, in fighting and and who would be stewarding stewarding these coalitions and now, you know, now we hear that there are factions within the black and Jewish communities that, you know, we can't seem to get together. So, you know, the larger mainstream community profits and laughs as everybody else, everybody else is at each other's throats. And you, you wonder if this is all orchestrated. Let's give all the black folks some shine so we can get, cause the infighting and then we can get back to the white default in a few years. That's how this normally works. We've seen this, and we've been, we've been on repeat for centuries with this same behavior. We've got to be more intelligent than this. And again, as a black person, I don't want to see wholesale blackness either. I don't want to see whole, I want to see everything normalized, everybody normalized. So I can, again, I would, like, I would like, as a black person, I would like to see what does a Polynesian family look like? What does a Polynesian assassin look like? How does she speak? You know, what, what cultural cues am I going to get? What, what am I going to learn? I'm not going to learn from a white person going on vacation in Tahiti about Tahitian culture. Someone said in the chat room, well, we can get consultants. Who does that? That's where people, people who, I mean, may, I, listen, I hope that's the case, but oftentimes I don't see people consulting. If you had a, this is a comic book. I think this guy, you think that uh, C.B. Sabolsky <laughs> you thought he got consulted to do what he was doing? I don't think so. This is a comic book from, of a guy and his friend that say, hey, let's just, let's just paint this person brown and keep it moving. I don't know. I really don't know. Anyway, people, it gets hot and heavy at the Afro Radio Machine. You know that. The call-in number, I see uh, the captain, he's back. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. All right, um, let's move along. Not, no, uh, <laughs> no break. Let's move along. Um, I must talk about this Doomsday Clock comic book. Doomsday Clock actually was trending last week on Twitter. And I was like, well, a comic book is, twi- is trending. This, is, this book is selling like hotcakes. I think it's outselling a number of books full fold. This doomsday clock thing. So the notion that comic books don't sell, or we know, you know, there's all the whole controversy with co- comic books dealing with diversity and SJW that they don't sell. You know, I mean, this isn't really an SJW comic book, but comic books as a as a medium have had ebbs and flows for decades. But I think at the heart of it, just like movies, just like streaming TV imprints, just like anything. This is, no, this is not rocket science. If the quality is on point, people will come. I don't know why this is, this is like a, a, at issue. I'm reading Doomsday Clock, and let me just unpack for the audience what, what I'm talking about. It's issue three, and everyone, again, has been lauding over this book. It's essentially a continuation, continuation of the, of the, um, why am I losing, losing my thoughts? The Watchmen storyline. Wow, I, had a, I just blanked out. The Watchmen storyline, and we, we should be seeing The Watchmen as a TV series also at some point. I, I don't know what they're going to do with that, but hopefully, hopefully it will be good. But it, it's, the, it's the, 
it's basically a device to connect the mainstream DC mythology with the Watchmen mythology. So we know how insane, if you remember the the uh, Zack Snyder, it's probably one of the few things that I actually liked from Zack Snyder. The Zack Zack Snyder, um, if you if you don't aren't familiar with the, uh, the Watchmen, you would definitely go to remember it from the um, from the movie. The movie was pretty on point. Perhaps one, the ending and the villain or what have you might be a little different, but it, it it's a pretty good and faithful adaptation of the of the graphic novel series. So anyway, um, just to give you an idea, you see Batman encountering Rorschach. And Rorschach is insane. <laughs> uh, this Rorschach, Rorschach died, just like you saw in the graphic novel series. He died in the film. He was killed by Dr. Manhattan, or so we thought. Somehow, there's been a racial switch with Rorschach, and somehow it works. You see some megalomaniac folks in the Watchmen series. They may be encountering the Joker at some point. That looks like it's going to be crazy. But I don't want to give too much away. But what makes it interesting is that um, we know that Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore created Watchmen back in the mid-'80s, and it, was a, it really was a, a deconstruction of the superhero genre. Somehow, we know this, we said this ad nauseum on our show, that, that Zack Snyder took that with Batman vs. Superman, which was unnecessary. He did a, a, he did a great job, a, a great job of the deconstruction of the superhero in Watchmen. Why go any? Why go beyond that? But whatever. To get the same tone, this is Jeff Johns and the great Gary Frank as an artist. Gary Frank, Gary Frank is a beast. Um, to get that same tonality from Gibbons and from uh, Moore how they've been able to translate that into this new series, I, I really, I'm like, wow. I, I was shocked at how it, it really still feels like The Watchmen. It, the Watchmen was such a, a great book because of, of its dark tonality. Sometimes things don't necessarily translate. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to go back home again, as they say. Somehow they were able to do it thus far. So I, I, would, I would definitely recommend our listenership to, to pick up this fantastic book so far. But you know, and also the whole thing when they start to mix universes and get these two divergent properties together. Sometimes that doesn't necessarily work. Sometimes it it reeks of 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 it being hokey. This is not hokey. This is not hokey. I got I got to put it, you know, squarely. It's 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 about the business. So I was I was shocked to see how good this book is doing, and again, it was trending on Twitter. Doomsday Clock, graphic novel series, issue three. Um, I would, I'm going to pass it around a horn. I don't think our, my co-discussors read Doomsday Clock, but I know you know about The Watchmen. I would just say that The Watchmen meeting the, the DC heroes, it seems to be working for me this time around, until it falls off the rails, which is, which is possible. Right now, it's very early in, and they seem to be very, they seem to be very good. Very good. Claire, any thoughts? I, I don't think you've read this. Have you, have you seen anything about the Doomsday Clock thing? 
I've heard stuff through the grapevine. I have not read it. I, and I know this is like sacrilege to a lot of comic book folks, a lot of Alan Moore. Um, was that the writer? No, wait. I'm trying to think. That was the writer, right? The yeah, Alan Moore. Yeah, Alan Alan oh, Moore yeah. and and Dave Gibbons. Gibbons was the, was Gibbons. the um, artist. That's right. right. That's right. Um, you know, I'm sure that there are hardcore fans out there who are really excited about this expansion of that that story, that universe, and and whatnot. Um, I oh, sorry to say this, I have never read that graphic novel. I've never read it, and after I saw the movie. I really didn't have any interest in reading it. I'm sorry. I know that sounds terrible. I know. I'm like I'm, one of these days I might have to, I might have to turn in my nerd card. But the thing is, is that I did not like that movie. I'm just going to be real with you. I I didn't like it at all. And so, I don't know how close of an adaptation that is to to the graphic novel, which. I get it. I know it's one of the most revered, you know, pieces of work um, in all of comic books and and whatnot. And, and I'm, I think that's that's great. You know, that's great. And I'm highly aware of its popularity. But the movie, oh my God, it just wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. Especially that third act towards the end when I kind of felt like. I kind of felt like the message was there's no such thing as hope. We are all doomed. You know, like there, it just kind of made me question, okay, what's the point of life? What is the point of any of this? What is the point in me watching this movie? Like I just felt like I don't know what I'm doing. Like what I just and that's not really the feeling that I want to have in watching a movie or a superhero movie or anything like this. You know, but I understand. I understand. It's meant to be that. I get it. It's meant to be very fatalistic, nihilistic deconstruction of the whole genre and what it means to be heroic. And 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 to be honest, I had issues with that same that same story character choice in um, what was it? Damn. What was it? The Dark Knight? Yeah, yeah. Yes. The Dark Knight. So much respect for The Dark Knight in terms of being a very powerful piece of cinema. One of the few, one of the few that can truly transcend all the uh, trappings of genre comic book storytelling and be just an excellent movie in and of itself. But the, the choice, the character choice at the end, and for any of you who have not seen The Dark Knight, I don't know what the hell you're doing here listening to a bunch of nerds, but I'm going to spoil it. The, the choice to take it upon yourself, the blame, the blame in order to, to maintain some sort of facade of, of a hero, to protect that. Because without that, then there would be no hope, and then the city would crumble, and blah, blah, blah. For Batman to take on that blame so that Harvey Dent can still maintain some sort of 
um, you know, positive, Legacy. you know, image to something to for for the city of Gotham to hold on to and blah 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 blah. I understand it. I understand the choice. I understand why the story went the way it did. Personally, I didn't like it. Does that make sense? You know, I get does it. that make sense in terms of like even with Watchmen, in terms of the whole trying to be, you know, be above the 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 grandstanding and taking credit and taking taking the glory for yourself to actually take responsibility of something very horrendous, very awful, in order to achieve a greater good. See, to me, I, I get it as to why cinematically or story-wise that would be something interesting to explore. I get it. I get it. It feels very Greek. It feels very Shakespearean. It feels very classic in that in that philosophical sense of asking those questions. But for me personally, I don't really like it. I know that sounds weird, but that's just kind of where I'm at. So if you are enjoying it, what did you say? The Doomsday, Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock. All right. If you if you're enjoying it, then I'm sure that the people that enjoyed that graphic novel will be down. But I'm I'm just not one of those people. <laughs> well, I'll say this much. Um I I've been reading comics for a long time. And sometimes you can have, especially when I was a kid, you can have blinders on versus being an adult where you would might be open to a lot of different things. Like I think at one point I was probably not into into uh, westerns, I love western cinema. Westerns in cinema now, but at some point they looked boring to me. I, I just didn't have the patience to kind of get into the characterization in some of these. I mean, how they, how these stories really fold out. Um, but at some point, at some point, I, I just kind of grew to love some of this stuff. Uh, the, the different, the different genres that are in the comic book medium. When I was younger, I, it, was, it was all superheroes. The idea of buying a, a, a comic book that was about spies or about just regular regular life. I, now, I, you know, as long as the story is cool, I'm, go, I'm pretty much going to be there. So I do appreciate and, and Watchmen, but I didn't get into this. Like, at the time, that stuff was over my head. I, it, was, it was mentioned in the comic book shop. Uh, uh, the Sa- Sandman, the Sandman series... Neil Gaiman's Sandman is lauded over to this day. I have never read the Sandman. I know that's sacrilege. And people laud over this stuff. I mean, even Lucifer, which is kind of in that same Sandman universe. Lucifer and, and um, Constantine were lauded over. Uh, Hellblazer. They were lauded over in the 90s, especially, uh, if you were a comic book fan. But it was way over my head. I, just, I, was, I had blinders on at that, at that point. When I revisited this stuff, Sean Christopher says, Sam, see, here we go. D-Bird has to go. So, Claire, you, you see what I'm talking about? <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? It, you're gonna, you're, people think you have enough time of the day to read everything. I have, I have, I have Sandman, number one. I, I think three number ones uh, in perfect condition. I have yet to read Sandman. But, uh, and your nerd card is taken away for some reason. But once I revisited this stuff, Years later, like I, I would, everyone was so excited about the Watchmen movie. I did not read Watchmen 
up until like a few months before the movie. So once I read the book, read, I bought the, tra- uh, the trade paperback, and I couldn't put it down. So once I read the comic book and was fully aware of what was going on, once I saw a pretty faithful translation on screen, I got it. But if I didn't read the comic book and just walked in to see the Watchmen, like, just green, it, it might be a problematic film to see. When you get into Rorschach, and, and even Jackie Earl Haley, who we know from the Bad News Bears as a child actor, but who has since become this, uh, this very, very adept and adroit, proficient actor as an older guy, he was a perfect Rorschach. I mean a perfect Rorschach. And even when he recited the lines from the, from the comic book, uh, you, you, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but when he was in prison and they found, that, that he, you know, found out that, hey, this is the guy, this is Rorschach, um, people, he said in the comic as he did uh, on screen, you guys got it wrong. You guys think that I'm trapped in here with you. No, you are trapped in here with me. I remember reading that line and feeling a certain way. And I remember seeing Jackie Earl Haley saying it. I said, wow, they really got this nailed. Some of this stuff doesn't work out that well, Claire, unless you kind of have early knowledge. It just, it just doesn't. I know if I walked in there green, I might, not, I might not have gotten it. Fortunately enough, I said, okay, Watchmen was being lauded over. Let me pick up this book. I had to read it. Um, the Dark Knight, all this stuff, all the comic book stuff that we love and love so dearly, to see Punisher – uh, interpreted faithfully on screen. Some of the stuff is, you know, really the, the 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 seeding of it is really from this stuff in '85, from the mid '80s. The stuff that I was way too too young and green to like appreciate. I was, it was just too well over my head. But as an adult, I got it. I mean, even though I understand you're not really getting into it, what happened in print is the DNA for why why we love what we love right now. The fact that comic books have to be taken seriously in 2018 dates back to what these guys did. You know, Frank Miller, even Frank Miller's Daredevil. Frank Miller's run of Daredevil um, is the reason why Daredevil translates so well on screen now. That is basically Frank Miller's Daredevil. That's, you know, it is what it is. But it is what it is. Listen, and I'm not, I'm, by I'm, any means, I'm not saying like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> This is overrated. I just don't get it. It's not my thing. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to denigrate or downplay the value of it or how much of an impact it's made. I'm just saying that, and I was just, you know, our our friend John Hutton, I was just explaining to him, like, you know what? I already have a very negative, pessimistic, you know, dark perception of reality, of the world, of humanity. So sometimes I don't want to to read or watch materials that are dark and dour and depressing and, you know, just that feeling of pointlessness, hopelessness. I don't necessarily want to ingest that simply because my mindset is already maybe too much plugged into that, that feeling that I'm trying to get away from it. You know, so I need some sort of reprieve. But I just didn't want people to think like, oh, and I'm, you know, it ain't all that. Uh, you know, I, it probably is. I'm sure it is uh, amazing in terms of, in terms of, you know, the the work that was put in. You know, Alan Moore, Frank Miller. I mean, some people might have, you know, 
differing opinions of 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 Frank Miller, but I I can certainly appreciate the accomplishments that these creatives have have uh, have made over the years and um and the influence it has had that has reverberated through comics and now television and film. So I don't want you to think that I don't appreciate that. I do. It's just not necessarily, you know, my cup of tea. Oh yeah. Uh folks, if you haven't guessed it, you're hearing the voice of the lovely Claylin AR Left Coast correspondent. I am your host, D Bert, aka the Afro Nerd. This is the Grindhouse edition of the Afro Nerd Radio Machine. Feel free to buzz on in as always. You know the drill. Six four six nine one five ninety six twenty again. Six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. We still have a bit more show to give you. And we'll go to another herbal group just to kind of break things up for us to kind of get a get your imbibement. You know, whatever you want to get into, maybe not an alcoholic beverage per se, but I mean, you know, I'm not going to stop you. Uh, <laughs> um, I would hate to drink on the mic. I don't know what I might say if I was to be drinking. Anyway, <laughs> um, I want to get back and talk about the reboot of Martin. I don't know if I, I don't know what I think about that. I, Martin was kind of a beloved 90s thing that had me dying. I don't know anyone who did not like Martin. But I don't know if Martin – again, we're, we're talking about Martin Lawrence's Martin, uh, one, of early, one of Fox's early programs. Again, Person of Color puts the, puts the network on the map, and then you know, once, you, once we're done with you, we may, we may not see you again for 25 years, almost 30 years, would you believe? Anyway, <laughs> I don't know if you can go back home again, Claire. That, that makes me nervous. I don't know. Anyway um, – Give me about two minutes, folks, a quick groove, and then we'll talk about some of the, the, the rebooting that's going on. Full House, Will and Grace, Roseanne, why not Martin? I don't know. This is the, this is the apex, right on time. This is the, a new song, but it kind of reminds you of like early 80s music. We, we're revisiting this stuff again. Anyway, two minutes, we'll be right back. Let's groove.
out once again, folks. That's the apex right on time. New music, but it definitely reminds me of like 80s, 80s R&B. Um, I think we're at a place now where people are kind of revisiting that sound. I'm hearing, or even the 90s stuff, I, I think Bruno Mars is a master of it. Um, he has a song out with Cardi B. I'm not going to go on, you know, how I feel about Cardi B. But anyway, there's a song where she, it sounds like New Jack Swing. And I have to admit, you know, <laughs> I'm very familiar with New Jack Swing, and I kind of dig that sound. But it would have been nice to kind of have a group like Guy or Teddy Riley or any of, some of those cast to make an appearance. Maybe a remix, but my only issue with Bruno Mars, I mean, he's done a couple of things. Uh, I forgot that last song that he did, but it was definitely like Uptown. Was it Uptown Group, I think it was? You, you could have had the time. You could have had uh, – who else? Um, cameo. Making a cameo. I mean, I don't know. This seems like some of the things that you would have expected. When, when Will Smith did, um, uh, what was that thing? He, he, I forgot the name of the song, but it was, uh, he brought back Kumo D, you know, for obvious reasons. Because, you know, the song was kind of a, a, a riff of, of that. But now we can just kind of just pull from people and not give them the acknowledgement. Like, I think younger folk need to know. That there were people that, you know, this isn't like new music. I mean, he's doing New Jack, new jack Swing. Can't you bring some New Jack artists just to, just to kind of say, hey, you know, it used to be like the, the polite thing to do. I, I don't know. That, it irritates me. And I like the song, but damn, man. Anyway, I'm asking for politeness. No one does that anymore. Anyway, folks, um, before the break, I see our friend from Chi-Town is, is on the line. I'll bring him in, bring him in, in, a, in a moment. Um, I, I saw this quick blurb from the root that is putting out there well maybe martin lawrence might be coming back to sitcom television um his wife actually tweeted out something ominous about martin and then i think he said something kind of quaint giving the idea that martin may be returning um i know that the actor that played tommy has since passed so you know sometimes you can wait so long I mean, he's still relatively young dude. I think he's like in his early 50s, but I mean, you know, this is Hollywood. People die, you know, in life. It's kind of unfortunate, but I think many of the major players are still in, uh, in, in the land of the living. But I'm, I don't know if Martin – I mean, listen, why not, I guess, because everything else is being rebooted. They're bringing back a lot of stuff. Sometimes I think it's, it's Hollywood being bereft of ideas. Um, I heard that Living Single may be coming back. I mean, Living Single was my show, to be honest with you. Uh, shout out to the great Erica Alexander, who is a blurred. I would like to see Erica Alexander's, we know this, concrete, Erica Alexander's Concrete Park get a deal over the return of Living Single. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Claire, what are your thoughts about the return of some of these TV shows? I mean, we remember them fondly, but can you really, come, can you really go back? Well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really bothered to watch any of these reboots. I have no interest in watching Fuller House. Um, I don't have any interest in watching the new Roseanne. I One day at a time. <laughs> don't. Oh my God. I just can't. I'm not, and I'm not really. You know, I, I was a fan of. Um, of uh, when Will and Grace 
when they first came out. I do remember watching that for a little bit back in the day. Um, I don't know. You see, I just, I just don't know. The thing is, is that, and it was funny because when I was watching, <laughs> when I was watching Black Lightning, I was thinking to myself, I know this sounds terrible, but hey, you know what? I've been harping on the show, so here we go. Here's a little more to top it off. When I was watching the first couple episodes, I just kept thinking to myself, what would I rather be watching right now? I would rather be watching the second half of Luke Cage. And looking at Chris Williams, I was thinking to myself, hmm, I would rather be watching Living Single now that I know that it's on Hulu and I could just watch... I could just watch him mugging on the screen and Morris Chestnut, Terrence Howard, all these guys, you know, doing their thing, flirting with, you know, Queen Latifah, and like you mentioned, Erica Alexander, Kim Fields, Kim Cole. I mean, I I would just rather watch that because at the end of the day, even though even though it would be kind of cool to have some sort of reunion you know, to try to modernize, bring it back. So much of the style, the tone, the, the, the humor, just everything was so, it was very much part of that time. Of that time. Of the it time. It was of the time, you know. It was of the time. It was very 90s. So I can't really imagine bringing that back now, you know, even though it did very well. Martin, Martin and Living Single did very well for Fox. At the time, you know, it felt very fresh. It was very funny. I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, you said it. Can you really go back? Can you really go home again? No. That's the saying. You can never go home again. Because so much of the things that we hold, that that fondness and nostalgia, is because it was so much a product of the time. So we carry those memories with us. But when you try to bring it back, that's why I haven't even bothered with the the uh, the reboot of X-Files. I just haven't even bothered because when I saw the first couple episodes that they did when they brought it back last time, I'm like, "No, this is not right." It's just just oh, it just it's 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 so many things. It's either because it it holds too true to the original, which does not translate to modern day, or on the flip side, You've completely revamped it to where it's very much today, but Unre- then it loses so much of the chemistry and the magic and the spark of what made it so special twenty, you know, twenty-five years ago. So it's just I don't know, I don't know. One quick thing to our, to our listening audience: I still see some phone callers. I, I'm going to bring in Sergio in two secs. Uh, uh, for the callers, remember, if you'd like to join in on the discourse, just simply press 1. If you press 1, that way we know that you want to join in on our conversation. Many of our listeners listen in their cars, smartphones, and so forth, and they just want to listen. But, again, press 1. That way we know you want to join in. Other than that, I'm going to leave you on hold. So let's go to our friend from Chicago, from Shadow and Act, Sergio Mims. Sergio, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? Um, yeah, I Pretty just good. recently read about the um, Martin reboot, 
And I must admit, I hated that show. Couldn't stand it. <laughs> Funny, how come, Martin, the the light-skinned chick was the girlfriend, but the dark-skinned girl was the one he always insulted and compared to animals all the time on the show? Uh, uh, talking about, I forgot that girl's name. Or she's on, she's oh, on, gosh, uh, what was her name? She's still Tisha working. Ar- Tisha, work. Tisha Arnold. Tisha Arnold. Right. Yeah, you know, he was always insulting her, always calling her an animal, always comparing her to whatever, and this colorism that was in the show. The dark-skinned sister is yeah. the ugly one. The light-skinned sister is the desirable one. You know, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't abide that show. Couldn't abide it. But um, uh, I agree with Claire. Why are they bringing the, well, they're bringing the shows back because they're out of ideas. Why do you think everybody's watching cable now? You know? Yeah. Television has run out of ideas. I mean, they've announced they are going to do it. Uh, Sony is going to go through a remake of Superfly. And I brought this oh. up on the second Black Panther podcast. So funny, we got Black Panther coming out, and we have all these other Afrofuturist projects uh, for movies and television, yet they want to bring back Superfly, which was at its time. Remember, Superfly came on 72. Superfly at that time was different. It was, you know, I love that movie. I, I'm still waiting for the Blu-ray of that picture. But it was a movie of its time of a particular era. If you look at that movie today, it's laughable. Just look at the clothes people are wearing in that movie. You, we laugh at it now. But back then, that was what we call serious threats with the bright brim. The high Right, and and the platform shoes and the white collars with the with the plaids. You know, I mean, I hate to say I had some clothes like that, but that was then. <laughs> this is now. So why do we want to go back to the past? What? Why are they bringing back a, um, a Superfly? There is no audience for it. The people who well, love the movie, like I did when it came out, we're not going to go see it. And younger people have no idea what it is. Well, first of all, what what kind of take will they have? Is it going to be a period movie? Like, in other words, if you're not going to... No, it's going to be a contemporary a 19- film. Okay, and on top of that, it. here's something else, too. The, 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 the original soundtrack for Superfly is one of the great soundtracks ever by Curtis Mayfield. As his staff. As his staff. It still is a classic. For this remake, they got somebody called Future. All right. Okay, I'm done. That's it. That's it. You see? That's it. There you go. You All see? Right. I'm done. You see? There you, you go. Lucky. I don't you're have lucky. to say you're anything lucky. more. You're lucky you don't know who Future is. Unfortunately, I know who Future is, and he's not the future. But, oh, once you said that, oh, I know what this is going to be. This is this is business as usual. This is this. This is what I mean when people are angry. I hate to go back to this, but this Oscar's so black and white thing, this is what we get, folks. So let's not be let's not be so crazy to think that oh, black folks are working. No, nah, we're back on the plantation, buddy. If they get, if they you told me that Future's doing a soundtrack for a Superfly movie, oh, we're finished. This is this is some kind of millennial, uh, a ratchet Superfly. This is this is ratchet. This is this is super ratchet. This is a Superfly. You see, but this goes into the bigger issue you may want to bring on another show. Is about why is it that every step forward, they want to take us two steps back. When we have something like 
say, Black Panther, when we have something like A Wrinkle in Time, when we have, a prod, you know, uh, the Underground Railroad, Colin uh, Colson's Whitehead's novel is being adapted the gold, for it, HBO. The 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 God Particle is that also yeah the, the Cloverfield too? movie yeah it's it's that's right. coming out in April we have um, um, if Beale Street could talk James Baldwin's no- classic novel which is coming out in the fall by Barry Jenkins and then they want to come with Superfly they want to come with a show like The Shy which you know, it's supposed to be about the south side of Chicago, even though it's all shot on the west side and even looks it. The dialogue is phony. The clothes are phony. And what's all the show is about? It's about drug dealing and thugs. And haven't I seen this shit before? Isn't it? Isn't yeah. this shit tired by now? I don't know. I, you know, listen, there, there seems to be a there seems to be an audience for ratchet culture. Is there really? Is there? Well, well, yeah. You know, listen, we have to understand something. This is I was I was trying to convey this to to Claire a few weeks ago, when Claire had said that um, there are internal workings within Asian culture, where obviously you know not all Asians are alike, just as there are blacks, just like other ethnic groups. But there's this call to the tribe, as it were. There's this belief that we all are the same, and we should try to connect. And and, and listen, it's important to have tribalism and try to connect. But I can't connect with all black folks. That's ridiculous. It's impossible. And I was telling her to have faith that would, would perhaps would make what's really at issue for her, and this is just me theorizing because I'm going through this my, in my own way, is uh, you have to connect with Asian folk that think like you. When I go to Afropunk and the Schomburg and I meet all these well-spoken, hoity-toity black folks, I like being around hoity-toity black folks. But if, I, if, I, if you think I'm going to be able to connect with Shaquan and LaQuisha, you got another thing coming. It's never going to happen. I know people think it's kind of comical, but I, I've been there, and it's horrible. And those people, don't, those people don't like me, and I don't like them, even though we, we share the same phenotype. Well, you know, happen. just like when I posted on my Facebook page this picture of me and Raphael Payar, the conductor. Yeah, this brother, who I originally met five years ago, is one of the, becoming the most phenomenal international symphony conductors in the world. He, he has conducted twice the, the Vienna Philharmonic. You are invited to conduct the Vienna Philharmonic. You, you just can't, you're just not hired to do a gig. The orchestra members have to agree that you can come to conduct the orchestra. He's going on tour with them in June uh, in Austria and into Latvia, right? And the point I'm trying to make is that these are the kind of brothers, you said it to me personally, there is always black excellence everywhere. But they always want to try to shut it down. They're always trying to hide it. The media is always, and you're not getting any help from the so-called black media, you know, the so-called black media. So we have to be vigilant. We have to keep pushing that there is black excellence. There are people who are innovative, who are doing exciting things. And that they got to be known, and they have, we have to make sure that they're out there. But instead, you know, a big push goes for stuff like the shy. You know, give me well, a break. Well, Serge, i got to say this, and I want all our listenership to understand. I really sometimes feel like slavery has not left us, that, we're, that we are so controlled, that our there imagery is, a mentality. is so controlled. Yes, I agree. That, there is that, a mentality, yes. You know, and, and I, I, I feel Claire's pain. Trust me on that. And uh, it is a frustrating experience because we know, we know the truth. We know all these stories. 
we know how good it could actually be. And the funny thing is that, okay, we laud over, we laud over Black Panther, and sometimes it's getting a bit – I think some folks may look at it as being kind of an annoying thing. Because there's a thing when you see black folks kind of happy and rejoicing, other people are, d- despise that, which is kind of weird. But that's, that's the way – that's what we are. I mean that's what life is for us right now. But the issue is that as excellent as Black Lightning may be, um, it's a one-off. And it, it boggles the mind that this thing can make so much money. Why not – why not have more? Why not show more people of color doing these fantastic things? But if you do that, it makes other people, the folks that are controlling this whole thing, it makes them upset. It makes them uncomfortable. President Barack Obama made people uncomfortable. So now you have this clown in it as his replacement. And it's all good. I got to mention this real quick. I didn't really want to talk about it because I, I, I don't like talking about Trump because he, it's like uh, it's, a, it's a piece of work. It's exhausting. This man is this man is definitely has a mental thing because as an observer I'm exhausted. So how can someone who's actually doing it not be exhausted? Anyway, he uh Van Jones has a new CNN special. To my chagrin he invites Sean Carter on. That's my that's, this is a game. Not all black folks are my are, are, are all, not all skin folks are your folks whatever the the saying goes. Not all black folks are your skin folks whatever it is. Anyway, he's interviewed, he's clean, okay, whatever. I, I appreciate that. But he did say some things about Trump, about how Trump is unqualified and, and all that whole thing. Trump responds to Jay-Z. Like, what? Trump responds to Jay-Z, says, well, someone should tell Jay-Z that black unemployment has gone down, the lowest has gone down in, in, in history. And I even I tweeted back to Trump, not that he will ever see it. But I, I said, so you mean to tell me that for eight years, the black unemployment rate has been in a, on a downward trend. Your one loan year, your one year, takes away eight years of progress for, for Donald Trump. I said, that's fake news, sir. And it is, but hey, this is the world we live in. People don't want to see excellence. They don't want to see Asian folks shine. They don't want to see black folks shine. They don't want to see people of color. At, uh, they, don't want to, they don't want us here. And that's why it's unsettling that we're seeing some factions trying to disrupt the coalition. We need each other. This man threw paper towels at Puerto Ricans. I mean, this is where we are right now. We can't afford to say, oh, look at the black folks shining. Come on. That's all we're doing is shining. (laughs) Okay, whatever. That's me going off. Um, Let me mention something real quick. You'd appreciate this, Serge. Um, I got to be very brief but respectful. We've had some passings in the last week and a half, two weeks. Reverend Wyatt T. Walker has left the building. Um, if anyone has seen footage of Dr. King, he was always right by his side. Um, we had uh, Ralph Abernathy, of course, and we had Reverend Wyatt T. Walker, um, who, even in, who even in advanced age was still very, very much on the civil rights scene, very much a stalwart figure, and he has passed. But he was definitely one of the chief strategists um, and, and again, Dr. King's right-hand man, literally, uh, highly responsible for the, the success of the civil rights movement. Um, you know, we can't take away the iconography of Dr. King, but there were a lot of moving pieces to that movement, Bayard Rustin and folks like that. And Reverend, Ty- Reverend Wyatt T. Walker was also one of those folks. Um, Mort Walker has left the building at the age of 94 years, 94 years of age, pardon me. Uh, responsible for Beetle Bailey. Beetle Bailey was a staple in newspaper cartooning. So um, 
with a heavy heart, Mort Walker. I even remember the man's signature, like the way he used to write his name, Mort Walker. Uh, I believe there was a, a Beetle Bailey cartoon. I mean, Beetle, Beetle Bailey is and was a staple when it comes down to comic strips. So he has left the building. And last, uh, jazz great Hugh Mathakela. Now, when I talk about you know, a, a, a African soundtrack for uh, Black Panther, South African trumpeter Hugh Masekela comes to mind. I mean, there's a lot of folks that are left out of the equation. Hugh Masekela, uh unfortunately passed at 78 for, uh, of uh, prostate cancer. But as far as jazz uh, staples, jazz grooves, Hugh Masekela was a beast. So with a heavy heart, I think I may go more into Hugh Masekela. Uh, being that I am, I fashion myself as a musicologist, but that really hurt um, Reverend Wyatt T. and Hugh Masekela, especially, uh, especially if you, you know, 70s and 80s music. Um, he was very um, prolific as a trumpet trumpeter. South Africa, of all places, people. Anyway, I'm just saying, you, you have people from the continent that you could have used versus some Swedish dude. That's that, see, Claire, that's that effery. They never really do it. It's always something. You got a Swedish guy that's doing the, doing the score. And, and uh, Compton, Swedish, the Swedish dude and Compton doing a African fantasy. Something about that makes me angry. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Ver, Vernon Reed calmed me down. I guess that means something. Uh, living Color, Vernon Reed said, slow your roll. I hear you. I, I said, I hear you. But... You know, uh, Thor didn't have Led Zeppelin for the first for the first uh, movie, and I said, "Yeah, you know, he's right." He said, "Maybe the second or third time around, you may get your bad brains uh, George Clinton combo." That, that's what I would want to see. Um, but you know, first time around, you're gonna have to tolerate because they want to get as many people in the seats. And the, and the Panther so lit people. You know, this guy on Twitter tells me, "You're a stupid mf'er." He says to, to me verbally, uh, uh, he says, "You're a stupid mf. Uh, uh, Kendrick is Kendrick is is perfect for an African American soundtrack." I said, "Oh, okay." Nah. I thought he was. Nah. I thought he was African. I thought he was Wakandan. You know. Anyway, this nah, is what's well. out here. He's he's perfect. Anyway, all right. Uh, let, let's let's um let's move forward. Um, I got to mention this. Sci-fi, I'm fearful that sci-fi, sci-fi may be losing superstition. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Superstition is the supernatural TV series, The Return of Mario Van Peebles, Melvin's son. Uh, Mario Van Peebles has this uh, – I mean, listen, it, it, I'm dealing with it, but it has low production values. And I think it's like on a Thursday, 10 o'clock. I mean, the time slot, it sucks. Uh, some of the production is very low. But the premise is, is I mean, listen, it's, it's black folks fighting supernatural beings in the bayou. <laughs> I mean, why wasn't that done before? But, you know, I'm looking at The Magicians, and The Magicians has better production value, and it's essentially Harry Potter in college. So, I mean, sometimes we set, these, set some of these projects up to fail. I mean, you give a person of color a shot, but then you don't give them the money or you don't give them all the tools that they need for, for it to reach greatness. You have um, a Jasmine Guy 
as Aunt Nancy or Anansi, the, the, the African trickster god. I mean, I think, I mean, I'd love to see her back in the fold, but why do you give us this cheap S? I mean, but I still wanted to get a season two, just like I wanted to see uh, Dark Matter get a season three. I don't know what's up. Any word on, have you heard anything about this, uh, Sergio, um, Melvin, kind of coming back for this, or not much? Oh, Sergio left. <laughs> okay. What about you, Claire? Uh, I've never seen the show. I've never seen the show. I really I don't watch a lot of shows on sci-fi. Um, I don't, I do, I do mean to. I do, you know, have so much to catch up on in terms of, um, what was it, The Expanse? The new oh, yeah, yeah, that's supposed to be good, too. Uh, still got to catch up on Dark Matter, which your, your beloved series, you know, is no oh, more, but still, show. I've been been meaning to catch up on that via via Netflix. Um, yeah, I just don't really watch that many shows on Sci-Fi. I have never seen Superstition. Um, You're I not mean, like. it sounds interesting, I guess, but production is kind of. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what's going I mean, I like it, but I, I, yeah, it's just kind. Of, it's something about it doesn't look like it's putting any money into it. The CGI is pretty poor, but the premise has me on hold. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the family structure. You know, um, you, you have, you have uh, Mario's daughter playing his granddaughter. He plays this immortal, this immortal, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Moor, this, um, this, this you know, from the Moorish tribe. And uh, it's got like you know Egyptian um, mythology mixed in, and he's in the bayou, and he's got, you know, he's got a son that's coming back from the war. I mean, there's a lot of things going on that could work, but I would want to see it with at least magi- the magician's production value, and it, it doesn't seem to have that. I need to get the showrunner on on the show. I need to get the showrunner or even Melvin on the show, but I, I want to do what I can to try to save it. But I think that the ratings are kind of low. But then again. Um, sci-fi hasn't really promoted this thing. They kind of set you up to fail sometimes, I feel. So, and I'm going to do what I can. Threshold? Yeah. Like, what, what is considered, what number of ratings do you need to have for sci-fi in order for it to be considered a hit for that particular channel? I don't because know, you know, because... I, I, I know Dark that Matter uh, was doing fairly well. They got canceled. Yeah, well, see, um, when uh, Malozzi, Joseph Malozzi came on our show, he said that sci-fi did not own Dark Matter. Now, I will say that the only thing that might be um, superstition savings, savings grace is that it, it says squarely in the credits that this is a sci-fi show, that it's a sci-fi-owned show. So that distinction... I thought that was doing maybe two million or something like that, or one point five. I mean, one point five on a Friday night for a small cable outfit is very good. I mean, I think some. Of, I mean, I think some of the CW stuff gets like maybe two point five, two million. They're classified yeah. as hit. True. So I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, we got about seven minutes remaining. I want to quickly talk about uh, since we spoke about Plantation Olympics and skill, skin color ish. I, I was reluctant to talk about this, but uh, there seems to be some, some murmurings 
of Amara La Negra. Are you familiar with this woman, Claire? Amara La Negra? No. The controversy surrounding? Amara La Negra. Well, listen. Thankfully, you don't know where she comes from. Amara La Negra is this um, Afro-Latina that's been kind of making the rounds now because she has this look that I don't find a problem at all. <laughs> but for some reason, uh, she's controversial. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's the it's – the, maybe we're being set up. I mean I find it hard to believe that, that this woman's look is controversial. But what's going on is she's, she's from the uh, Love and Hip Hop Miami show, which I've never seen any of these. Real Housewives, I, that's just not my thing. I, I, I've never seen Empire – this, I just, no, I'm not going there. But and how she's being interviewed, I, I at least she seems to be fairly normal. But she is Afro Latina, and she talks about um, how there's a Euro standard in the Latin market. You know, the telenovelas really show dark-skinned um, African extraction Latin folk. They they're going to go for the J Lo's and the Sofia Vergara's. I mean, you know, Plantation Olympics works. South of, south of the border, just as it is north of the border. But it's really, it's really intense in those Latin countries. So anyway, she's coming, she's coming into the scene. And even on the show, and again, this stuff is half scripted, so you don't know what's real. But uh, I guess like the, the music producer on the show tells her, well, what's up with your hair? We got to get rid of your hair. Why don't you do something that's more uh, professional, a.k.a. Um, Beyonce and all that kind of stuff. And she's dark-skinned, big afro, but she is stunning. I mean, this is not even, like, up for debate. But she does give off the kind of 70s, I mean, it's very much a 70s, you know, funky look. But y- you can't say this woman is not attractive, but the fact that she's being pressured to, to, have to, to, to conform... When we were starting to know about her because of this unique look, um, she was she was interviewed on the Breakfast Club, which is also you know what they do is also kind of a minstrel act, but that's that's beyond the. I, I've, you've heard it from me before. When Charlemagne was was talking to her and he was, she was explaining to her what he was explaining to her, she was explaining to her, pardon me, she was explaining to him the concept of the Afro Latin culture or what she he was looking like a deer in headlights like, how do you live in new york and not know what Af, what an afro-latin person is and that co- that caused a stir on social media they were looking at him like you know you're being disrespectful she's explaining how hard it is to be you know just like just like if you were to tell me and you have told me the the, the, the trials and tribulations of being an asian actress and how you 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 are you are american enculturated you are american and someone's asking you to, to put on some faux Asian accent, like you, you would be as proficient at doing that as I would be. I mean, you don't know how to do that. I mean, why would you be asked to do that? It's insulting. She has her own problems. But when, he, when she's explaining it to him, he's like, what's that? It's your imagination. Imagine someone telling you, and they probably have told you this, Claire, when you go into your, your, some of the, 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 the um, problems you encounter – and tr- going up for roles, and someone tells you, "Oh, that's your imagination." That's what's going on with this young woman. So I just kind of I wanted to put that out there. That I think it's it's shameful, and I, I just don't like the fact that someone who is who is so attractive, but I guess you know her look is not the look that they want that mainstream thing. It's very weird to me. 
What are your thoughts, and then we're going to close shop? Well, sadly, it's still going on. Sadly. Like, I know some girls, regardless of whether or not they're light-skinned or a bit on the darker side, they have their, I mean, they call it different things, but this one girl that I knew, she she calls it her commercial wig, you know, like when she goes up for a commercial, she got to put on she put a, she got to put on that wig because they you know she don't want to scare them. She doesn't wow. want to scare them with her natural hair. So when she goes up for a commercial, she got to put on that cute wig. That's all you know. Either it's either like super straight pressed, or it's just got a hint, a hint of a curl. You know, but. For, for the most part, the wig has to look like white people hair, you know, because if she has her natural hair, she's always concerned that, oh, like maybe they that's not the look that they're going for unless they specifically ask for it, you know, unless they specifically want something that's like hip and funky and edgy and they trying to go for that whole, you know, Macy Gray I'm sorry, that, that reference is a bit old. I apologize. No, he used it. Um, no, listen, he used it. He used it on the show. So you're, not, it's, you're right on point. The guy that spoke to Amara La Negra used Macy Gray as an example. Okay. All right. All right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, when they talk about, when they talk about this stuff, you know, it's not as if, it's not as if I encounter someone trying to tell me that, oh, well, I'm not seeing things. It's just that I get frustrated. I get frustrated when somebody who doesn't share my genitalia or share my ethnicity, I get frustrated when somebody who doesn't know my journey wants to try to tell me all about it. That's what pisses me off. Don't tell me that, I'm seeing things or that it's really not as hard as I'm explaining it to you or that, oh, well, it's not like that. No, I'm, exp- I'm letting you know. I'm letting you know that what they want is some BS oriental accent. Like apparently that's all they think I'm good for when in fact the opposite is true, that I'm terrible at them. I'm terrible at faking an Asian accent. I got to come up with some BS, you know, garden variety, you know, chinkinese, whatever. And I know that it's terrible. They know it's terrible. I made an ass of myself, and now they're probably not going to call me in, you know, for anything. Because they probably think, dang, that was just, what was that? What was that? (laughs) Can she even act? Yes, I can. God damn it. Yes, I can act. But just have me speak English, for God's sake. Don't have me, you know, put this. Oh, but, I want to swear. You know, oh, I well, want to curse listen, we, so bad. <laughs> well, Claire, listen, we, we, we're, we're already past the time. I, we're going to give another two minutes. But I, I, uh, I will say this. Um, what amazes me is it's as if, well, first of all, you have Asian cultures and communities in America that have been here for decades, for centuries. 
So the idea that uh, you don't have fully American Asian folk and, has, and that have been here probably as long as some white people or longer. But for them to look at you and to assume that you – I mean, you would have as much difficulty as anybody else because you're an American citizen. I mean, the whole thing is kind of – it's just it's just weird to me. Like, why, like you know, you have Asian, Asian folk living their lives like everybody else, going to work. I mean, why – like, you, they don't – who – I'm having a difficult time even expressing it because it, it, it doesn't make any sense. When logic isn't there for me, it makes me go crazy. Like, why is that necessary in 2018, first of all? Like, because what, are we because going, in is 2018, is a period movie? In 2018, even now, 2018, not 2008, not 1998, even now, people still think that all Asians are fresh off the boat. Like, we just got here. We just got here. That's what they think. That's how stupid people are. In fact, it's so funny. I just read this article the other day. I'll, I think I posted it. Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa. He's got a very unique look, very striking, very exotic, very powerful. And he says that he struggled to get work. He says he struggled to get work after Game of Thrones. Unlike everybody else, Unlike everybody else from that show who went on to do everything under the sun, like freaking Finn Jones and Iron Fist, everybody who even had one episode of Game of Thrones on their resume booked amazing projects after that. But Jason Momoa says he struggled. He struggled to get work for a long time. He struggled to get auditions, to get anything until Aquaman. And the reason why is because people didn't even realize he could speak English. Wow. I guess the character, I don't know. I don't follow Game of Thrones. But I, I'm assuming that the character he played, some other language. I, don't, I haven't looked at it either. I, I, I thought he spoke, I mean, he spoke English on, on there. I mean, for the little I saw, I think, I don't think he's speaking a different language. I mean, it's all language, tele, you know, English-speaking television. I would assume so. I mean, I didn't know if it was like some made-up Tolkien language or whatever type no. of like fake nonsense that you that you make up like some kind of Klingon. Nah, like, if, if anything would be Klingon. Look, like, if anything sake, would be, why would you assume that this man doesn't know how to speak English? Well, but because he's you know, big listen, everybody... and brown, they get freaked out. Well, listen, everybody has gone through this. I can even tell you personally, uh, everyone has, has variants of this. I, I remember on several occasions, um, I, was at, I was at a gym. Well, actually, I was, I was at an electronic store across the street from my gym. Um, this is a few years back. And this is at a time when you had those radios you could pull out. You, know, you could pull out your radio from your car. And I, I had a problem with the radio, so I took it to get it fixed. And this guy, like, automatically starts speaking to me in, like, kind of a, a yo-yo hip kind of vernacular. A white guy, white salesperson. And I guess I was a little too – sometimes I could be in myself too much, in my own head, where I was like, I'm not going to confront this guy. But my, my, uh, my friend, um, who was a police officer at the time, 
he looked at me and like, he said, doesn't this guy know you have a master's degree? Like, why is he talking to you? He said, listen to me, he said, why is he talking to you like that? And I kind of just was very curt with him, and I said, hey, listen, just, give me, just, just take my radio and tell me if it can be fixed. But his first thing was like, yo, 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 my brother. I'm like, what? what? And I remember when I was even much younger, and I was by a magazine rack. See, these things you never forget. And some white guy like, was kind of striking up a conversation with me or wanted to ask me a question. And he went into this whole yo, yo, yo thing. And I, at 17, I was definitely like Urkel, complete Urkel. So I looked at him like he was a crazy person. I said, why are you? I don't even look like a yo-yo type of black person. So he, he just went into this whole yo-yo-yo ghetto speak. And I looked at him and said, excuse me? You know, it, was just, it just freaks me out that people go into this, into this kind of mode. They go into this, into, this, um, into this remote control behavior based on your appearance. And it's not, even, it's not even your appearance. I mean, just, you know, because I'm pretty straight looking when I'm walking around on purpose. And I, on occasion, now I will say, in recent years, I get, I get a lot of respect. Sometimes it works in the opposite direction. Sometimes I have the whole nerd look where some, I see people of, of, you know, people of varied ethnicity, white folks specifically, where they will come to me like I'm the guy with the answer. So sometimes the Urkel thing works for me. In recent years, it seems to be like, oh, he looks intelligent looking. So they'll ask me these questions like, well, how do they know I would know that? So it's, it's weird. It's weird. But I know, you know, I've had moments where I was, I was like treated like a stereotype. And it is, it is, it is, it makes me hot. <laughs> it makes me hot, Claire. I, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Anyway, listen, people, another show that goes over the time limit. You know, who would have thunk it? Uh, that's how it works. Claire, we're going to have to give you a salary. Um, to listening audience, I'm going to leave this as a tagline. Patreon's going to come in about two weeks. Um, I have our, the lovely Sally V from the Dominican, <laughs> from the Dominican uh, uh, triumvirate. <laughs> I don't know if I'm using it correctly. She's helping me on the on the IT side of the game. So uh, we're going to see each other probably for the second showing of Black Panther. We already have our tickets. I got two tickets, folks. I got tickets for Friday show and tickets for Saturday show. This thing better not suck. Better not suck. I bought two tickets already. Anyway, she's helping with the IT. We've got a, we've got um, a video or visual element we want to try to get into the game. We want to try to get into a studio in Manhattan. That's that's kind of being talked about. We got to get the video. I'm sorry, the um, the, the the website more um, really more popping. Um, is a writing portion of it. Uh, it costs money to to podcast. I've been absorbing the cost to. To be on blog talk, it costs a little bit of change. So there's things that, you know, we need help. Folks told me to my face, when you get it up, we're going to give you some money. So people, we need a couple of hundred Patreon subscribers uh, to help us feed the beast. So I, I, I trust that you folks are going to, uh, to, to, to consider what we're, what we're bringing to the table, and we're going to try to give some improvements and also give you more information. It's all about information. So uh, Claire's got to get a check straight up. So that's the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's where that's how it works. There's Preach. other things you, you can do to get. Well, hey, it let is. it be you known. Know, let it be known. A working actress. It costs money to get this thing to, to, for this thing to work every week. It, it costs money. Um, you know, the the podcasting fees, the web hosting fees for AfroNerd.com. Uh, we got to get writers to come in. I mean, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. And I want I want it to be superior, not. Taking taking shots at other folks, but I think we could do it better than what I've seen. 
I don't want to talk about um, corporate product all day long. I want you know 50% corporate stuff, 50% people of color and what they're doing, and bringing bringing some of these folks on the show to talk about these things. We have Asian folks that are behind the scenes doing things. I want to get them on, on online. I want to get. I've had some some African. Forget about African American. We have Nigerian people, are cartoonists, animators. There's things going on besides uh, Captain America. I'm just saying. So that, that takes time and money, and Patreon is coming. So we appreciate the support on that. Anyway, Claire, it's been, things will change. Trust me, all, all the way. We will be, hopefully we will get some change. Ching, ching, ching. And there's also change as far as uh, product in, sim- in cinema. Anyway, this is Galvin Turek. It's a female, folks. Ga- Ga- Galvin. Gavin. Pardon me. Gavin Turek. The distance. Next week, folks, has been real. Appreciate it. Days is all.